1: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
2: First man up, Kyle Schwarber. Blast one. Straight away center field. Trout is back. Looking up, and it is gone. Off the batter's eye. Well up off the ivy. And Kyle Schwarber with a leadoff home run on the first pitch of the night. It's his 13th of the year, and it's 1-0 Phillies. Now look back, at second, and the pitch to Stott. Swing and a high drive, right field, deep. Ward going back at the track, looks up, it's gone! And there it is for Bryson Stott. His first major league home run, and it's a three-run shot over the out-of-town scoreboard. Phillies now lead it 4 to nothing. Well, that's all you needed.
3: There you go. Good morning, everybody. Phillies crushed the Angels last night in their 10-0 in their first game under new uh, or interim manager, Rob Thompson. Kyle Schwarber homers twice. Bryce Harper homers twice. Young Bryson Stott nails his first. Zach Eflin goes eight scoreless. The, what are the Broad Street Bashers, whatever, they finally show up. Good morning, Jody McDonald. All they needed to do was fire the manager, and all is well. Jody, Rob Thompson, undefeated. How long can he keep this up? I don't know. Well, till about
4: ten thirty tonight. After the game is over and done with, can he go to two Uh zero?
3: Maybe. There was um, what's his name? We I, I heard them uh, Howard talking about Chip Kelly. When they fired Chip Kelly, they brought in uh, what's his name, the offensive. Pat Shermer. Yeah, Shermer coached one game, one and zero. Oh. So there you yes. go. Tired, undefeated as the
4: Eagles' coach. I don't think Rob Thompson is uh, planning on retiring anytime soon, though.
3: All right. Well, that's the big news. He is Jody McDonald. I'm Glenn Mack Now it's Mac and Mac. Always a pleasure. Uh, and we are working this morning and today up until one o'clock. And of course, we followed the big news yesterday of the firing of Joe Girardi. Um, just to give you the background, I think everybody knows the Phillies had. The fourth highest payroll in baseball, two hundred and forty million. They were aggressive last offseason. They were came into the year with pretty high expectations. I think Vegas had them at least, if not winning the division, getting into the playoffs, and now they sit third in the East. What now six games under five hundred after the last night's win. Something had to happen. Jody McDonald, was it the right move yesterday to say goodbye to Joe Girardi?
4: They actually picked up a game in the National League East last night. Uh, The Mets got beat by the Dodgers late, so they're only 11 games out. (laughs) As we sit here in the first week of June, already 11 games out of first place. Yeah, they had to do what they had to do. I, I was a big Girardi fan, loved when the Phillies hired him, thought that he was the best possible fit out there when they decided to move on from Gabe Kapler uh, I still think he's a good manager, but he did not do a good job here. He had his chances. Uh, as you mentioned, they did a lot to improve this club, at least on paper during the off season, and you did not see the results on the field, and that's the way the job works, and uh, according to Dave Dombrowski, who spoke yesterday, uh, Joe handled it like a true professional and with class, but he also knew it was coming. He knows that's the way it works in baseball specifically, but in all sports, it's a results-oriented business, and the Phillies were not getting the results, and Joe Girardi paid for it with his job, and I thought Rob Thompson was the best of the guys on their current bench Dabrowski did a good job of explaining the fact that they couldn't start a managerial search. Someone had to take over. Otherwise, you need to go through a process, and they were going to select someone within the organization. And Rob Thompson, who was Joe Girardi's right-hand man, uh, seemed to be the guy who was the best fit, and I agree with that selection at this time. Uh, I feel badly for Girardi, but he had to go. I said on my CBS show on the weekends, uh, after they did what they did against the Mets, I said if he gets swept by Gabe Kapler and the Giants this week, he's going to go. Well, uh, I I wondered if the Wednesday win was going to be enough to save his job. And off day Thursday and a lot of contemplation by Dave Dombrowski led to Girardi's ouster.
3: Yeah, uh, so I want to play, this is a quote from Dombrowski kind of talking about uh, Moshe. I think this is the one when he kind of knew it was time, is that right? I yes, think. indeed. Okay, Most give it give it a hit.
5: No, I don't think really a per se tipping point. We haven't played well for a while. It's something that, um, you know, in your own mind, I don't. You're, you're thinking of what makes you better for an extended period. So again, being around the club day in and day out, um, it, it was one where I think that when I just looked at how we had played over the the road trip at the end with against the the Mets there. Uh, we played against san francisco the first couple of games all tough losses right but then when i looked uh, of course at the schedule and you're looking at okay if you're going to make a move what time frame makes sense and i look towards the thursday off day if we we're going to do it and and really I, I it is something i've been thinking about because i haven't really thought that the club has played as well as what we're capable of playing and just a different chemistry but um you know, I got some rest on uh, Wednesday night, which has been hard to do with some of the length of the games that we played um, and some of the travel that we had, and it's something I had been contemplating, and I woke up and went for a jog, and I came back and really thinking, you know what, this is, this is the right thing to do at this time. I think it's the best for our, our organization.
3: All right, so a couple things. First of all... Um as in almost all of these cases, you need a scapegoat when a team is underperforming, and the manager is usually a scapegoat. So it was Girardi. It's not Girardi's fault per se that Kyle Schwarber was hitting under 200. It's not Girardi's fault that Alec Bohm has a slugging percentage of 352. It's not Girardi's fault that this team's defense is one of the worst in Major League Baseball. Uh, so the head has to go, and it's his. But it is. But he did contribute to it. Um, Jody, I felt. He was lifeless. I felt that um, just his lack of fire in in standing up for his players and standing up to umpires. He gave the appearance of a guy just collecting a paycheck. Um, The team seemed lifeless. And part of it, I know, is how this team plays the game, right? They have a lot of strikeouts. They don't put a lot of balls in play. So often it's guys, you know, swinging three times and walking back to the dugout. I I don't know if that's going to change. But I think that Girardi really hurt himself in his poor use of the bullpen, which, you know, I mean, I was at a game last year. He tried to put in a believer, wasn't in the active roster. Um, The decision to start Bailey Falter last week, maybe it wasn't his decision, but it really hurt him. Um, His kind of demeanor in the dugout when the camera would be on him and it just would always be his face looking down into his binder. He is not to blame for many of the things on this team, but he made it easy for him to be the fall guy. That's my take.
4: I basically agree with everything you just said. Um, uh, if if you're a motivated player, a veteran player, a guy who's been around, a guy who signed a uh, 76 or $80 million contract during this offseason, if you need to be motivated by your manager, Shame on you uh, that they've got enough veteran guys here that Joe's demeanor in the uh, locker room, I I don't think, is the main problem. And if it's an issue with some of these players, shame on them. No, it's more his tactical decisions. And they tried to upgrade the bullpen during this offseason. Jerry's familiar isn't what he used to be. Uh, Corey Kniebel had a bad week. That'll help to get your manager fired as well. The James Norwoods of the world just don't really belong in the big leagues, and that's an organizational thing. But Girardi's calling on him to come out of the pen. He's keeping in Nick Nurse for a save situation on the road trip because, God forbid, Sir Anthony goes. in.
3: God bless you. I think Nick Nurse is an NBA coach.
4: What did I say? Nick Nick, Nick, Nick Nelson. My bad. Thank you, <laughs> Nick Nurse. Thank I, you for correcting
3: I, me. I, I, I'm going to do that ten times before the end of the show. That's okay. Um, I'd rather have Nick Nurse. Maybe, with the way Nick Nelson
4: pitched. And he actually had a good eighth inning, but you pushed him to go to a second inning and a ninth inning because Sir Anthony, who didn't pitch the day before, wasn't like the Joe Girardi can't pitch three days in a row rule. He had not pitched the day before, and in one of the weekend games, he'd only thrown 11 pitches. But we're not going to take a chance with Sir Anthony because he's coming off as many injuries as he does Joe, if he didn't realize that his job was kind of hanging in the balance, then shame on him. He could have been critiqued the other way that Girardi is managing in June as if his job's not. Well, it was. And we found out it was, and he's now unemployed. Yes. So to me, it was much more his decisions and the uh, things that he did within games that cost him his job than his overall attitude. These these are should be self motivated
3: players. No, no, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. He just he just looks so laconic out there. But yes, it it, it was those decisions, and it always was the kind of. Well, you know, it's a long season, and I don't want to get the guys, uh, you know, to uh, work too, too many innings now. I read a piece this week by Mike Vaccaro in the New York Post. You probably know Mike. Very sure. good, no good columnist, right? And he did a profile of Buck Showalter, whose Mets were, were I don't know what the record is now, it was a few days ago. They were 35-17 and 17 when he wrote this thing. And he said that um, Showalter's theme with this team today is worry about today, Tomorrow'll take care of itself. And and there's a quote from him. He says, I'm in the here and now. It's something you learn in the first week of catch of coaching, excuse me. Coaching one oh one. The trick is the buy in. I want this team to treat every game like it's the most important item on their daily agenda and act accordingly. We'll worry about the next day the next day. And I never got that sense from Girardi. I always got the sense from Girardi, which is, Well, you know, I'm gonna need these arms in October. Well, Probably not. Uh, And and his decisions to not use pitchers when kind of the circumstance called for it really hurt. Uh, Rob Thompson yesterday actually spoke to that, was asked about that. I think, if I am correct, I think he was asked by Todd Zalecki. Todd's going to be joining us at 11 o'clock. And he was asked, is there a time... When are you are you going to have the same rigid usage policies as Girardi? Is the time you might go to reliever third game in a row? Mosh hit that one, if you would.
5: Yeah, So
6: we're now into June, and I'm not going to say we do it every time because every we do it, take it case by case. We used Familia the other night, three night three days in a row. So we're going to do it case by case. If they got low pitch counts the first two nights, and the guy looks you in the eye and he says, "Hey, I'm good to go," then and you trust him, then it's a possibility.
3: Makes sense to me, Jody.
6: Absolutely. And I don't know why
4: Girardi wasn't of the same mindset from the beginning of this season. Good for Rob Thompson that he is already open-minded to uh, taking it on a case-by-case basis. That's one of the problems with Girardi was, I don't think there was case-by-case basis. There were certain things that he felt as tenants of the way you manage a baseball team that he wasn't going to adjust to. He wasn't going to change. He was going to stick to them. And, oh, by the way, you have a game plan when you come into a season. You're hoping to be at a specific level, win as many games. Uh Uh-oh, we're not as good as we thought we are. Guess what? you got to adapt and change on the fly. And I don't think Joe Girardi did that this year, and I'm not sure that has ever been part of Joe Girardi's way of doing things.
3: Yeah. I I think you said at the start of the show, I had such expectations for him coming in. Uh, I was really excited about the hiring of Joe Girardi and thought, you know, this is a guy. uh, Clearly, he had a ton of talent in New York, but still, this is a guy who knows how to win. I always liked his personality. I liked him on TV. I met him once uh, before he was here. I think we had him as a guest one time, and he was good. Uh, and I just had such high expectations. It's such a disappointment. I, I know you feel the same way.
4: Exactly the same. Um, uh, yeah. As a matter of fact, my daughter was working for the MLB Network while Girardi was there. And she uh-huh. said, couldn't have been a nicer guy Couldn't have been an easier going guy that even though he was a manager who had won a World Series and some of the other guys they had on the air at MLB didn't have the kind of resume or accomplishment that Joe Girardi did. Oh, he'd volunteer for anything, go on remotes, go shoot stuff at high school fields, stuff like that. She couldn't have liked Joe Girardi more, and she, like me, was very excited when he came here. She was ready to pull the plug on our buddy Joe Girardi before I was. I I stayed the course longer than she did, and I finally wilted this past week when uh, he just got handled by Atlanta and then swept by the Mets. You knew it was time.
3: Yeah, and maybe he goes somewhere else and has success. I'm sure he'll go back to TV and do well. So the big question now is can they overcome it? Uh, According to fan graphs, as of before last night's game, they had a 21 percent chance of making the postseason, which I guess is that third wild card. Jody, help me because I can't keep track. Is the third wild card anymore, or the, how many wild cards they have now? Three, four wild cards? Three wild cards? Is it a is it a one gamer, or did they make it into a best of three? Um,
4: no, the the top team gets a buy. It's gets two a wild buy. Cards. Right? They added one more wild card. At the year of the pandemic, there was an even extra wild card. Now there's uh, one less than that, but one more than there used to be. So the uh, first teams get uh, the, the team with the best record overall in the league gets to buy the other two divisional winners, play the other two wild card teams uh, in a best of five series.
3: Best of five. Okay. So you get in, you, so. be- you get a best of five. So it's not just that one one game affair. All right. So Correct. it's legitimate playoffs. All right, so they got a, They got a, uh, as I said, they got a twenty-one percent chance. Um, you've lost one of your most dependable offensive players in Gene Segura for the next twelve weeks. You got Bryce Harper DHing, and we'll talk about him in a little bit. We don't know if he's going to be able to last the season. Uh, I think other than that, you're relatively healthy. Am I th- forgetting somebody else? Uh, no, you ran okay. him down. Okay. Uh, you know the bullpen is short. You know what it is. You know what the defense is, defensive issues are, which compounds the problems in your bullpen. Can they, at this point, still make a run to get into the postseason?
4: Uh, the short answer to your question is yes. First of all, i got to correct myself. Two divisional winners get by. So the third divisional winner with the uh, lowest record joins the three wild cards. You're correct there, are three wild cards. Um, God, that, can they, like can they the that
3: sentence just felt like doing taxes. Sorry about that. Okay. Uh, can, I, hate, can, I hate when sports is just math.
4: Well, it is, but I know, it's, I know. that's not Glenn McNaught, or Jody McDonald's fault. That's the Players Association and MLB through their know. ongoing negotiations and collective bargaining agreement that held the season up uh, before it ever started. Uh, can they be one of those three wild cards? Yes, they surely can. Even the, though the standings would say probably not, even though FanGraphs says 21%. Well, 21% isn't zero. It's not a great number, but it's not zero either. They, as Dave Dombrowski said yesterday, should be better than what they've done so far this year. So can they get into the mix for something like that? Yes. I think the Mets have kind of run away and hidden the division. They've been as good as they have been. Sons, DeGrom, and Scherzer, I, who at some amazing. point are going to come back. And yeah. even if they're not DeGrom and Scherzer, they're going to be damn good. Yeah. So the Mets are going to be very tough to catch. That's what you're targeting, one of those three wildcard spots. And should they be attempting to get in that? Uh, we haven't even reached the one-third of the season mark. we got two more games to go before we hit that. Yes, that's why they did what they did. That was a big reason why they did what they did yesterday, Glenn, because they sure as heck have not given up on the season.
3: Okay, good. Well, that's good. And I think every fan who has so far not enjoyed the season at least holds out that little bit of hope that they're not ready to just throw it all away. What difference can Rob Thompson make? You you change the manager. We talked about how, you know, he may change some of the strategies, how he uses the relievers, maybe stretch out the starters a little bit. God, don't pull the, you know, he pulls his starter. He, Girardi, pulled his starters so early. Um, but you have a 58-year-old baseball lifer, bench coach, minor league catcher, third baseman. It does sound like the prototypical, right, major league manager, former minor league catcher who's been hanging around forever. Uh, He he has a good resume as a coach. Coached to the Yankees for 10 years, um, mostly for Girardi when he was there. Um, We came here with Gabe, I think, in 2018. Does he come in with the chops to change things? Does he need to change things? (sighs) Uh, Yeah, he's got to change some things, because otherwise, why
4: even fire the manager? If you're just going to get his uh, little brother to come in and do exactly the same, uh, you wouldn't bother firing Girardi. Uh, So, yes, I think he will change some. Massively changing? No. His personality is somewhat Girardi-like. But he needs to strategically be different than Girardi, and I think he's a smart enough guy uh, to know that, and I think he will do that. Uh, we got two men say I'll tell you a quick story. One of the calls I got yesterday when we found out Rob Thompson was going to be the next Phillies manager was from uh, Joseph Anthony Aloisius McDonald Sr., my dad. He's known Robbie Thompson sneaking up on 30 years.
3: Yeah. By the way, for those who don't know, and probably most people do, Jody McDonald's father is a baseball lifer, including a being a long-term general manager. Still works as a scout. No, just re- he retired. What he called it? He called it a career before what? the pandemic.
4: Uh, oh, well, perfect timing, timing because he was going to do minor league baseball. Oh, shoot. There was no minor league baseball uh, in 2020.
3: Your dad got, what, 70-year career? Something like that, right?
4: Uh, 60-something. I don't God think he made him. 70, but uh, he he scouted into his 90s. Uh, so he did it for a very long period of time. But he was with the Detroit Tigers when they drafted Robbie Thompson And he was an okay player. It didn't look like he was going to be a big leaguer, but he was an absolute hard worker and a guy who was a uh, student of the game. And my father, when his playing days were over and they were going to release him, offered him a job within the organization, and his coaching-slash-managing career took off. And they really liked him and thought he had a chance to be a big league manager someday. And one year, the New York Yankees kind of came in and pilfered him away and gave him a job in their organization, and that's when the relationship started with Girardi and the like. So my father at a game at the Yankees minor league home in Tampa uh, during the season watching the uh, uh, A-League Tampa Bay team play, uh, went upstairs to the press box, and he pushed the wrong button on the elevator. He was supposed to go to two, so instead he pushed three, and he ended up on the floor that is solely there for the owner of the New York Yankees, George Steinbrenner. Who's never there? This is June or July, and he's never there, but sure enough, the Yankees are playing the Rays that day. So he stopped by the complex to get something out of his office before going across the uh, bay there to go to the trough and watch the Yankees in the race play. So, Seinberg and my father knew each other. So, oh, Joe, how are you? Give him a big hug. They shoot the breeze for about 45 seconds, pleasantries. And my father says, George, I got a to pick with you. You stole Robbie Thompson from me this off season. We love the kid. How did you notice to give him a minor league job? And Steinbrenner looked my father back in the eyes and said, Yeah, but you stole Willie McGee from me.
3: Yeah.
4: <laughs> which was a much bigger deal that helped the Cardinals win a World Series. Oh, yeah. So George was pretty uh, smart on his feet. He was pretty quick and uh, kind of got my father to back off his critique of having stolen Robbie Thompson. But my dad has known Robbie for 30-plus years, and uh, he is just a tremendous baseball guy. And we'll see if he's got the chops to be a major league manager.
3: We'll see what happens. I know that there's not a single Philly fan who has enjoyed watching this season. It has been painful. It has been dull. It has been frustrated. The fans don't want to accept that it's over. I mean, three months until the Eagles season, and we really have nothing else. So you want the Phillies to give it a run, try to be in the race, aren't ready to pull the plug. And so maybe just maybe this turns it around. Maybe they get a little energy. Maybe Rob Thompson makes a couple of changes that have impact. Maybe just things are ready to move, and they will be positive. We will see. Um they got one of the longest droughts in the major leagues and making the playoffs. It would be nice to see that end now. 215-592-9494. All right, let me, let me um, say a couple things. First of all, at 11 o'clock, we're going to be talking to Todd Zelecki, get his lowdown on this. We're going to work the NBA playoffs into the show. Eagles make some interesting changes in the front office. Jody and I will be discussing that later on in the show. Whatever else is on your mind, you are certainly welcome to uh, join in. Uh, and contribute at 215 Also, let me just say, um, on a personal note, I appreciate all of the kind words and notes that came in to Ray Dinger and to me after our last two shows last week. It was really appreciative. By the way, if you're up in the Camp Hill, Pennsylvania area today, Jody, could you find Camp Hill, Pennsylvania on a map? Uh,
4: no, but you got phones that tell you how to get there nowadays.
3: I've been there once. They have a great burrito place. Is in, in Camp? Oh, that's where I would think to go for Mexican food. <laughs> okay. Well, Moshe, here's good news for you. After the show, well, you're going to have to move fast, Moshe. You may not be able to make it.
7: I'm here but, till five. I'm not making.
3: Uh, it. Oh, you're out. But but Ray is signing copies of his books at the Barnes and Nobles at the Camp Hill Shopping Center. The guy retires and spends his first week driving two hours each way to camp hill but if you are there from 1 to 3 p.m. today ray is signing copies of his books um as far as this show we're we're a week or two away from announcing the full plan for these six hours of weekend real estate it will it will happen but i am i i think i can i think i can safely say that i am happy that jody mcdonald will be a part of it moving forward so there we go all right we will be back and discuss much more and again would love your input as well with Jody McDonald, I'm Glenn Macnow, Saturday morning on 94 WIP.
8: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
9: Instacart
10: knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game.
8: You have 47 new voicemails.
1: Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
2: Nick Mayta on the, the batter to Harper. Swung on, hit high in the air left field. It's deep. Marsh is going back to the track. At the wall, it is gone. Opposite field, three-run home run for Bryce Harper. The 11th home run of the season for Harper.
3: And the Phillies now with a seven to nothing lead. Yeah, spoiler alert. Actually, there's going to be another one that we're going to play later. And Jody, it's it's a not yet, but a potential conundrum for them with Harper in the sense of, but he's having an incredible season at the plate. He is hitting three, hold on, three ten uh, with thirteen home runs and thirty six RBIs. He's he's just been great uh, but he can't play the field which hurts their defense and the time may come when he needs Tommy John surgery which as you know requires a lengthy rehab and so they're going to have to decide okay at a certain point if it if it comes to this if it comes to to that do we lose him for the last I'll pick a number 80 games of 2022 and the first 40 of 2023 do we try to get them through 2022 you know when are they ready to pull the plug and i don't have any i don't know that there's any good answer for that right now
4: we're gonna have our doc on a little bit later and we'll let someone who actually knows what they're talking about tell us what would be uh, the best situation but i'll just get hey, you from jody
3: i did not go to med school but i did pay for many years of med school uh,
4: exactly right uh, so, with your youngsters so, uh, <laughs> and and you get a doctor doesn't up that give on the me show. Any, anything Every single week, Uh, yeah, you know more than me. But uh, we'll get a real doctor up here uh, in hour number two. Um, Here would be my read on it from a baseball standpoint, uh, not knowing the magnitude of the injury that he's playing with or the severity or like. Two words: mathematically eliminated. When that happens, I think that that is when the Phillies will turn to and say, if he needs Tommy John, then let's get Tommy John so that when he comes back, we can speed up the process the best we can. Even if it's only a week earlier, you might say that's not going to happen until September. That's what I'm predicting. Yeah, September is the earliest that this is going to happen. Now, here's the other thing that you don't know. And it's funny because they're playing the Angels this week, and Shohei Otani is in for his first time ever since Bag Park. He did the same exact thing. Uh, when he came over to the big leagues as both a pitcher and a hitter, he needed to have Tommy John surgery done relatively early in his Major League Baseball career, and they just said, we're doing it. And he's going to be able to bat for us, but we're going to give him 2019 off from pitching, and they did just that. Now he's come back, and he's one of the best hitters and one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball. So we've got a guy who the same decision had to be made with. It's even lesser for Harper because he's not a pitcher. He's a guy who's got to be able to throw from the outfield, but it's not something that is going to end a significant part of his career. Yeah, I don't think they push that. I don't think they make that decision until the season is absolutely done with because they need his bat in the worst way. Glenn, you ran down some of his numbers. The only guy in the entire Phillies lineup, and well, maybe Gene Segura. I got to give Gene his props. Um, that's about it. Those two have topped out at their potential. What what you had optimistically is what they could do offensively this year. Harper Segura, everybody else is underachieved to the top level of their uh, prospective performance this year.
3: All right, well, good, because that leads into the next topic, which is who are the culprits? Because as we said, Joe Girardi was the one who felt the ax yesterday, but Joe Girardi is certainly not the only one who had a poor year. So who are the culprits? And I'm going to start by saying, despite many of the calls I hear to this station, I don't think it's John Middleton. I don't know what people expect from the owner. Um, I think the owner spent the money. I think the owner stays out of the way. Uh, I think the owner lets his people um, make decisions. Now, you can blame him if you want to say Dombrowski is a culprit, and I guess I will. You can chase it up the line and say, well, he's the one who hired Dombrowski, so therefore. But if, you, if you're if you an owner and you're willing to put down one of the top five payrolls in baseball, I I don't put him on my list of culprits. Do you see it differently?
4: No. Uh, and to to take it a step further, the knock on Middleton had been – Yeah, he'll bump up against the luxury tax, but he won't go over it. And that was just good management of their cap, of their salary, on a given year-to-year basis, because if you're not going to make the playoffs anyway, and oh, by the way, the Phillies haven't made the playoffs since 2011, why go over it and pay the price? Because there are uh, moving forward taxes that you pay, that if you go over the cap, then you pay for it down the road, Well, why not skim back and not go over the cap? So I thought it was just a good job done by the organization in general to get close to it but not go over it or you're in all-in mode, which means you're pushing all your chips into the beginning table and you're going to be over it to begin with when the season starts. Well, that's exactly what they did. So all those who said, oh, Middleton won't go over the tax, you won't pay the tax, you won't go over the – he did because Dombrowski talked them into the fact that they were good enough to potentially win a division this year, to get to the playoffs, to move in the playoffs when they get there. And he said, all right, whatever I got to pay, let's let's go over the luxury tax before the season started they did, and they're now six games under five hundred. That's not on John Middleton.
3: Okay, so it's got to be on Dombrowski to to a degree, right? This yes. is a team with, team with big name stars, but but no no kind of cohesive unit, right? The 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 de- they're always giving away extra outs on defense uh, and trying to get through a bad bullpen. Listen, Schwarber and Castellanos kind of excited me before the season, but looking at it, maybe there were mistakes. Um, Dombrowski kind of ignored. Their defensive shortcomings, and to me, that only works if your team is going to club 225 home runs, score five runs a game, and, and they are not doing it. Middleton hired Dombrowski, I believe, in December 2020, I'm pretty sure that was it, to clean up the mess that Matt Clenteck had left, and we're now, you know, two seasons past that, and that mess has not been cleaned up. So, Dombrowski on the list of culprits, yes?
4: Let me cut... Dombrowski slash the Phillies, the slack that they uh, actually deserve, it's not much, but it it certainly needs to be mentioned, because I think it plays to one of the shortcomings this year. When they signed both Castellanos and Schwarber, well, one of the two of them was going to be a DH on a day-in, day-out basis because you knew they were both below-average defensive outfielders. Lo and behold, here goes Harper's elbow. He's got a DH every single day. Uh-oh, now you've got bad defenders on both of your two corners in the outfield. And, yes, they have paid a price for it. So Dombrowski couldn't have possibly known when he made the decision to sign both Castellanos and Schwarber that Harper was going to come out of the mix as a defensive player, and, and he was going to have to DH every single day, which, oh, by the way, and, okay. It's very good that they have Harper in the lineup every single day. Defensively, it would be easier if Harper were just out of the lineup, period. Because then you could use one of the two as a de- now it would mean a lesser player in left field or right yeah, field, who, but a better defensive
3: player. Yeah. Does that mean I'm getting more Odubel? What, what is? Yeah. What does that, that, that? What does that mean? That the, the, would be part of it. The yes. fifth return of Roman Quinn. I, you and, know, that and that
4: that would, as <laughs> as sad as this sounds, it would improve the defense. No, I if know. If that were the
3: case, it would no. not improve the team overall, no. but it would improve the defense. All right. So next culprit to me, and I'm kind of putting him in order as I see it, and I like this guy, but God, he's having a horrible season, is J.T. Realmuto, who is on pace for nine home runs and 48 RBIs uh, and has just lost his bat. And he was among the elite catchers in Major League Baseball. You signed him to a huge contract. And, and I don't want to put too much weight on the contract. That's That's not why he's a culprit. He's just a culprit because he's not producing, and he was a guy who was supposed to be in the middle of the order.
4: Agreed on all fronts. Um, and I don't understand why. It's not that he's of that age where you're going to start to see deterioration of his skills. He should absolutely positively be in his prime. Um, he should be pitched to with other bats in the line. If you had a Schwarber and a Castellanos, you say, well, and, and chances are he's going to see better pitches. If he is, he's not doing with them what he's supposed to do. Uh, of the players, of the everyday players, yeah, he would probably be on the top of my list as well as the biggest culprit for their underachieving.
3: Uh, who do you add next?
4: <sighs> the, the shortstop, Didi Gregorius. Um, mm. They They gave him a two-year contract, which... I I like Dee, and when they acquired Dee, I thought it was a good, solid veteran replacement. Knew he had to tie to Girardi, but didn't matter to me. I thought, hey, this guy can still play. He's not bad at shortstop. He absolutely can power the ball out of Citizen Bank Park. I thought it was good signing. When they went two years... I said, no, because, and again, we didn't know Middleton was going to say, yeah, we'll blow by the luxury tax. You look at all the other shortstops that moved over the, or that's passed off season and or the year before, like Francisco Lindor, who's just stone cold killing it for the Mets, yeah, the first place team in yeah, the division. He's,
3: he's, he's recovered from last season.
4: Yeah. So maybe they could have jumped in on someone like him, but because they'd made the two year commitment to DD number one. His fielding is going backwards. He's just not the fielder he used to be. He's never go glove, but he was at least average, if not slightly above. Now he's below average. Um, it's always an issue with some kind of injury, and we never really know how severe the injury is. So when he doesn't achieve offensively, go, well, is he playing hurt? Well, he's always hurt. So what can you actually expect of DD D. Gregorius? A uh, major disappointment in a guy who I thought was a pretty good signing the other day. So I'd put him okay. high on the culprit
3: list as well. Uh, I would next put the tandem of Hoskins and Bohm, who um, were players brought up in the system. Both guys thought to be part of the nucleus going forward both guys who had tremendous rookie years showed promise at the plate neither Ray always uh, called them first and third base called them the corner butchers which I thought was a great nickname for for how they field but they're both supposed to be frontline hitters Boehm came in as a rookie and hit 330 Hoskins came in as a rookie and was cranking home runs out of there uh, they're both now subpar hitters uh, very bad fielders and not guys who are cornerstones of winning teams, so I would put them next.
4: Let me give you the glass half full again before we get to the actuality of glass half empty. I think the glass is cracked. Uh, Maybe. Um, Boehm has actually not been bad at third base. He had that god-awful night where he made three errors, and they caught him lip-breeding that uh, hate being in this place because they were giving him a Bronx cheer, a mock cheer, when he made a catch after three errors. Uh, but he's bounced back from that, and he's played pretty well defensively. Part of why you wanted Alex Bum to be your third baseman for a decade was because he could both hit for average and with power. He's hit with no power this year. Three he's homers. become... A slap hitter, basically, and you can't have that at your third base position. Reese is what Reese is. He's below average defensively. He can get hot and go on a two-week run that can carry you to a bunch of victories, but then on a dime, it can turn and go into a month funk, where he's just a big hole in the middle of your lineup. Uh, mostly butchers on the corners. I like Ray's way of describing them. Um, yeah, I would say that is another major concern. The lineup was supposed to be tremendously deep when you add Castellanos and Schwarber, but it's still one that has holes. Uh
3: right, you get one more culprit. Who you got? <sighs>
4: Maybe it's not even fair, but again, just judging by what Phillies fans thought, in a lot, it, it's, uh, it's, I guess it's more of a shot at the fans than it is a given player. People just penciled Ranger Suarez as being the guy who was going to be able to do what he did for his last 10 starts last year. Well, we got Ranger. He's a legit too. All right, is not what we thought he was, but we got Wheeler as our ace, and we got Ranger number two. I said, can we give Ranger a month or two into the season before we put him on that kind of pedestal or level? And guess what? He ends up starting the season hurt, and when he pitches, he doesn't throw enough strikes, so he's always at the 100-pitch mark by the fourth inning, which means you got to lean on the heavy pen. Uh, I guess I'm putting it on the Phillies fans, the overly optimistic Philly fans that thought that the uh, number two guy in the rotation was just a given, and Ranger has not been that.
3: All right, I'll tell you the bullpen, but to me that circles back to Dombrowski. I mean, they just get new guys in there every year, and they're just never better than they were the year before. They're just shuffling the the lifeboats or shuffling the deck chairs. You don't shuffle the lifeboats. You go on the lifeboats. You shuffle the deck chairs. Thank you. Uh, So I would say the bullpen, which is on the GM. I would say the center field collectively, which – and I heard a caller earlier this morning remark that they haven't had a center field, legitimate center fielder since Victorino, and that goes back a decade. They just cannot find a center fielder that they can trust. And my last one would be the Aaron Nola's sixth innings. And it's game after game after game, Jody, where I watch him through four or five, and it's like, wow, this is Nola's night. He's really got it together. This is it. He's looking great. It happened the other night, the sixth inning, home run, single, home run, whatever, walk. And it's the, the, those sixth innings, to me, are the culprit. Which so. is
4: the reason why we should give Zach, Zach Eflin an attaboy last night. Got to the sixth, got to the seventh, got to the eighth. A Phillies starting pitcher going eight innings. I don't know if uh, Rob Thompson had anything to do with that, but he did keep him out there, and Eflin delivered for him. Yes, they just – overall, the starters, and Wheeler is starting to look more like the guy who was a major potential Cy Young Award winner last year, and he goes tonight for them. Um, yeah, the starting pitching has to go deeper into the game because we know what the bullpen is, which is inconsistent and or not good enough.
3: All right, that was a pretty good list of culprits, and you know what? I think we really just scratched the surface with that. We could have kept going. 215-592-9494 if you would like to join us. He's Jody McDonald. I'm Glenn Macnow. Back together again. White on the drive. Back to
2: Horford for the lead. Boston up by three. Al Horford in his first NBA Finals. All
3: right, Jody McDonald. I respect you for many things. Maybe your basketball acumen right at the top of the list. Remember when you coached the WIP uh,
4: team? I still have some pictures of a sweaty <laughs> Jody McDonald and Glenn Mac now and others uh, after we went out and raised some good money for a good charity.
3: God, it was it was great. I don't know how many people remember ever went to see it because we were all younger at the time. And, yes, um, it was it was you and me. Neil Hartman was good. Rob Cherry was good uh angelo was about as inept as i was i never i didn't play basketball growing up i know that sounds weird to people but where i grew up the only kid in my neighborhood who played basketball came around later christian Leitner. we didn't play basketball in my neighborhood (laughs) um we played football and hockey but i mean you were nice enough to let me on the team my scoring average was 2.3 points per game uh who else was on the team Mike was on the team. Who else played on the team? Um, People would ha-
4: know. Howard would make an occasional. No. Yeah. So Howard played a couple of games. Is I got a right? picture with Howard in the shot. Uh, uh, and I the, guys wasn't from the guy wasn't the worst on the team then. Uh, no, probably not. Uh, the guys from Foster's used to sponsor the team, so we'd go out with the people that we yeah. played with afterwards and have an adult beverage or two. Which yeah, it was, was great. great. That's right. Those big well.
3: Australian cans. Yeah. Uh,
4: Janie McGinley uh, was on our squad, the traffic girl who yeah. uh, came out, who That's was right. a uh, either a field hockey or a soccer player, but she played some pretty good basketball too. So yeah, yeah we had run. we
3: had a lot of fun times. We did. It was a lot of fun. Anyway, it gets me back to I've always respected you your basketball uh, smarts. So please explain to me how the Al Horford experiment failed so, so miserably here. And then the other night he's dropping 26 points and six three-pointers as the Celtics destroy Golden State in game one. They play again tonight. Well, they were down
4: 12 points going into the fourth quarter. So yeah. they destroyed them for one quarter, which was good enough for
3: a win. If you're going to destroy a 16 team. 16 in the quarter. You,
4: you might as well do it in the fourth quarter when the game's going to end. And the Celtics did it to perfection, and Horford was a big part of that. Al Horford was a good player before he got here to Philadelphia. He wasn't going to be a good player here in Philadelphia for for a specific reason that I'll uh, certainly fill in the blanks for you in just a second. And I'm not surprised that he's good with the Celtics again now. Al Horford and Joel Embiid was never going to work. And when they decided to sign him, they had these grandiose plans of how they were going to be able to fit on the floor and play off each other. I didn't, even though I was a big Al Horford fan. And when they signed him, I admit I'm an Al Horford fan. I like the guy. He's a center. Joel Embiid is a center. In the -the space-the-floor NBA that is uh, now in 2022, you can't have two players like that on the floor at the same time and expect them to be able to cohabitate. It was just a bad mix to begin with, it was a bad plan. It doesn't make Al Horford a bad player because he didn't come in here and fit. No, it was the Sixers' job to make it fit and Brett Brown did not. And uh, I, I'm still an Al Horford fan and I kind of am hoping that he does win a championship because Golden State already has their ring, so I will be rooting for the Celtics. I know that's blasphemous in this town, but I don't it, root I don't know against, what it is anymore.
3: Yeah. Not what it used to be it used for damn sure. Not even nah, nobody nobody cares anymore. It's the the, the world has changed. Yeah, it, it was something to see how great he was and and how they just. You're right. They were down 12 going into fourth, and they outscored by 24. And they did it by the way on the night when Jason Tatum shot three for 17. Right. And Steph Curry did scored 21 points in one quarter. So moving ahead, I, I find that a fascinating series. I'm I'm all in on watching that series. Uh, you know, the shame of it is right now that the NBA finals and the NHL conference finals are just so damned entertaining and so good. And I'm lo- I feel like I'm standing outside the, the window on, on a rainy night, standing outside the window of a really nice restaurant, watching people inside ha- eating a great meal. That's how mm-hmm. I feel as a Philadelphia fan, knowing that I'm not getting invited in anytime soon.
4: You're right to bring both the NBA and the NHL into it, because, yeah, I watched last night's game. I just said, I'm going to root for the Celtics, because, believe it or not, my daughter is a Celtic fan. whole big thing about her being a Celtic fan from the second grade on, having a Where'd Paul notebook. your daughter Pierce grow notebook.
3: up? What, what part of
4: Massachusetts? Right here in South Jersey. She's a diehard Philly. She was okay. at the ballpark. Mount she Lowell, had her birthday party last night. At Citizens Bank Park with all of her girlfriends because oh, she timing. wanted to be part of the Phillies and she's a diehard Flyer fan as well. She was infected by her father's like of the Jets. Uh, sorry to say, Eagles <laughs> fans.
3: Um, hey, and- wait, wait. So, Flyers, Phillies, Jets? Oh, that poor kid has not.
4: Flyers, Phillies, Jets, oh, and so- it's been
3: a rough so decade.
4: Kind of a weird fan base that she has, but that's what she has. Uh, And I can understand if people still dislike the Celtics and want to root against the Celtics here because of Al Horford, because of Jason Tatum, who the Sixers, if they had just stayed put at three, might have gotten him. Uh, Marcus Smart is a very aggressive player, borderline dirty, that you can kind of root against. Celtic fans love everybody else in the league, hates him with a passion. I can get that. I watched the Rangers last night. I don't think Flyer fans can even hate them. They're such a young team. There's no rivalry between the Flyers and the Rangers. Mm -hmm. Uh, The kid's just Durkin and Goal. I said this, which probably ticked off some Flyer fans a couple of weeks ago. He is so gone by. Uh, our goaltender who we thought was going to come in and take over uh, the league for the next decade, and he's kind of leveled off in his progression while Shesterkin has gone through the roof and might win the Vezina this year. You can't even hate the Rangers the way you usually hate the Rangers. No,
3: that, it's, it is weird. I posted something about this the other day. I don't know if we'll get into it a lot today. I may do it more tomorrow, but but it is, it's, an, it's an interesting issue of – And rivalries change, and Flyer fans probably hate the Penguins now more than they hate the Rangers. But whatever, the Rangers are a long, long time, decades-long rival, and the Celtics are the historical rival of the Sixers. Maybe now not as much as, I don't know, Toronto. I don't don't even know what the Sixers' huge rival is these days. But, um, yeah, I don't see any venom from Philadelphia coming when those two teams both have a really good chance to win a championship. It's a
4: little painful to watch, but you're right. It has been quality play. The Western Conference, Edmonton and Whoa. Colorado, man, they, they lot, just have of, so you, many guys. A, a lot of red lights, man. Yeah. Holy mackerel.
3: Yeah, it's great. It's great. Uh,
4: you did, let me add one more thing because I know you wanted to get this in. Um, Sixers found out yesterday they're going to a first-round draft pick this year. Uh,
3: I'm doing that later. Past.
4: Okay, you saved that for later. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, let, me,
3: let, let me let me throw that in later because I want to get into that in a little more detail. They are they're the Nets said like you know what we think it'll be worse next year. We'll we'll let you have the pick. <laughs> no, I just want I want to close on the um the the Celtics. Uh, Golden State because they play tonight. What's that? What nine thirty start or something? F- figure. No, I think it's tomorrow. They they. they oh, it's they, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Excuse me. Okay. Buku
4: days off in the NBA finals. Yeah, yeah. Get it.
3: If they get to it quickly enough, they give everybody
4: a lot of downtime in the final. Okay.
3: All right. So, um, it was an interesting game because, for what it's worth, Jordan Poole, who I, I thought kind of a key guy for the Warriors, just looked awful to kind of. Dribbling aimlessly into travel, a little James Harden dribbling around, not doing anything. Um, and the Celtics had that a, a standing fourth quarter, as we said. Should the Warriors be worried? I mean, the Warriors have the pedigree. The Warriors have the rings. The Warriors are better than that. Uh, how you look at this series now?
4: Well, I I picked the Celtics to win it before it started. Which Did you? They were a yeah, they were a pretty good underdog coming in and it's funny because uh, my main line of thinking was the Warriors had not played a team that plays the type of defense that the Celtics play. The Eastern Conference this year was a better defensive conference, the Western Conference was a better offensive conference, and the Warriors probably the best offensive team in all of basketball this year. I thought the Celtics could kind of take them out of their uh, rhythm and, and out of the way they like to play. They're one of very few teams who I think really get out and defend the three-point line. They didn't do much of that in the first quarter against Steph Curry, but then afterwards they surely did. And that's why I thought they would win the game, but they won it more offensively, even with Tatum having as ineffective a game as he did. That's a real good sign. If you're a Boston fan and you won game one, the way you won game one. Yeah. You feel that much more confident that you can actually win this whole thing.
3: Yeah. I hear you. And, and, I watch these, and, I mean, clearly with the Flyers, it's obvious that the Flyers don't play in the same league. If it was British soccer, the Flyers would be relegated down Oof. a notch from what this thing is. And the Sixers are, you know, one of the better teams in the league, but they're not They're not as good as these guys. They can't win with that core. I worry that the Sixers are locked in. They're stuck with Harden. And I just – when you watch the – the championship, the later rounds, to me, Jody, I get the sense of this is really great sport, and our teams, they ain't there. They're not,
4: either of the two. The sectors are the close of the two, as as you just kind of mentioned. Um, but,
3: but they yeah, ain't there.
4: They're, they're not, and no. we don't know what they're going to be able to do in the offseason, don't know what this first-round pick is going to give them. Uh, they have to make a decision on Harden, and that's going to come pretty soon. If nothing else, it will give us plenty of debate here because if they give James Harden a contract extension. Now, if he just opts back in, he's going to make his $47 million, whatever it is, nothing that the Sixers can do about it, and they'd probably be okay with it. But if they decide that they need to lock him up because uh, they, they wouldn't be able to add another, just subtracting him from their salary cap wouldn't open up that much money to be able to go get another superstar-type player, I think it would be a major mistake because, I'm sorry, I just see him as a declining player.
3: All right, we're going to be really late for the break, but I do want to ask you this question. Uh, I'll make a statement. You can agree or disagree. I would rather have James Harden one year for 47 than two years for 50.
4: Yes, I agree. Because Um, then you're done. Okay. One and done, and then be able to move on from it. And, oh, by the way, because he has such a good relationship with Moray, I think he likes Philadelphia, but he's such a mercurial guy. I don't know what he likes or who he likes or uh, exactly what he's thinking. Um, if he comes back and this was just a one-year thing and it was the hamstring and he's still got game, well, then I think Moray could probably resign him, but I want to see it on the floor before I make any commitment pass this year.
3: By the way, if you're up at the Camp Hill area today, Ray Dinger is signing copies of his books at the Barnes & Noble at the Camp Hill Shopping Center, 1-2-3-P-M. Todd Zalecki of MLB Network joins us next to talk about Joe Girardi and the future of the Phillies. Jody McDonald, Glenn Mac now, Saturday morning, 94 WIP. Nick Maton, the batter, he's 0-1. We're walking a to strikeout tonight, the pitch. Maton swings, lines it to right, coming on
2: for it, and it goes under the glove of Ward, and now it goes all the way to the... Wall, J.T. around third. He's going to come home and score. And around the third goes Maton as Ward came in, tried to lean over and make the catch. He didn't. It gets
3: under his glove. And it's another run home to the Phillies and an 8 nothing Phillies lead. It was last night when everything went perfectly in the Phillies' um, Win at ten to nothing, although I guess Maton did get hurt later. Todd Zalecki, our friend from MLB dot com, joins us. Todd, any update on Maton early this morning? Uh, not this morning, but he got an X ray yesterday after the game. They called it a
0: right shoulder sprain at with an S P sprain. Um he's gonna get a MRI today, um, but he had difficulty uh raising his shoulder um his his arm over his head last night just getting dressed and just you know just moving in general so he landed on it he landed on it pretty good now he said he did not feel pop or or anything like that but um i mean i would be surprised if he's back out there tonight
3: all right well let's let's talk about the manager um rob thompson was asked yesterday i think you asked the question how he (laughs) will be different from joe girardi and Uh, Maybe he gave a little hint or two, but you've been around this club and you've seen him since what 2018, I believe, as the bench coach. How do you think he might be different?
0: Well, I I I think the big thing, and that's that's why I asked that question because I you know I said like you know do you pitch Corey Knebel on that Tuesday in Atlanta because that was to me a huge huge loss. You know Bryce Harper hits that home run, you're about to steal a game in Atlanta win the first two games of that four-game series, and then you're very rigid in how you use your closer who wants to pitch, and then you don't pitch, him, and then you lose. Um, so the fact that he says, it's June, um, you know, I'm going to be o- – I'm definitely open to it, and, you know, so I think in that sense, he's going to be more open to kind of going for the jugular jugular there, you know. Like, I understand if it's early in the season and the team is playing well, maybe you protect Corey Knebel at that time, but when things are going bad, i think you have to go for it so i think rob is going to be more open to that the other difference i thought which was interesting is that, and dave alluded to this and and rob talked about this a little bit as well that he's really going to make a point to go through the clubhouse often and talk to the players often um i saw that a lot with charlie Manuel when he was here uh he was always in the clubhouse, walking through come up to guys and even just a, a dumb comment or silly comment Charlie was in there a lot. Didn't see it a lot with Joe. Now, in fairness, wasn't in the clubhouse the last two years of Joe. So I don't know how often he was in there. But this year, the times I was in there this year, and in spring training as well, didn't see him in there a lot. So maybe he's going to try to make more of a connection with the guys. Not saying that there was a clubhouse problem, so to speak, but maybe just be a little bit more in tune with the players, what they want, what they like, what they don't like. Rob said as much yesterday.
4: Todd, I know it's more difficult for you as you just noted. You're not in the clubhouse the way you used to be, so I know that's where you used to be able to judge stuff like vibe, like feeling, like emotion. And you got to wait till the game starts and then be able to judge from that. Well, ten nothing, pretty good first vibe and emotion for the team. Um, how do you go about judging that? Can you get a feel? I know you're allowed on the field before the game, which isn't the same as being in the clubhouse. How do you get the feeling over the next, yeah, couple of days, couple of weeks, couple of months that the vibe on the Phillies has
3: improved?
0: Yeah, so, you know, we are fortunately now we're back in there a little bit pre-game and obviously post-game. Now we can go back in there. So we get that little that little snapshot of what it's like. Um, I mean, there was more energy yesterday, but in talking to the players post-game, you know, they won 10 nothing, <laughs> And I've always been a believer, guys, that, You know, Charlie Manuel said this all the time. Anytime they went through a a dead stretch offensively, we would go, man, you guys look like you're flat. Looks like you guys have no energy. He goes, yeah, we have nobody on base. (laughs) Of course, you're going to look like you're flat and have no energy. So I feel like there was some of that there. The offense wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. So the team looked flat. Um, but I think the, the change that was made. Could motivate these guys a little bit, maybe snap them out of the funk. I, you know, I asked Nick Castellanos that. I said, Do you think this could serve as a kick in the butt for you guys? And he said, Yeah, I hope so because a guy just lost his job. And so that tells us that things aren't going well. I, they, I mean, they knew things weren't going well, but now because of their play, a, a guy lost his job. So I, I think that can maybe be provide a, a potential spark. I don't know how long it lasts, but you know, it, it, it could provide a little bit of a spark going into a schedule that really kind of eases up the next couple of weeks.
3: We're talking to Todd Zalecki of MLB.com. Follow him on Twitter, at Todd Zalecki. And and I'm asking you to interpret, right? A lawyer would tell me that uh, I, I'm not allowed to do this. But do you think they feel <laughs> bad that they cost him his job? Do they care that they cost him his job?
0: Yeah, I do. I do. Um, it, this wasn't a situation where they were chump chomping at the bit to get Joe out of there. And they're like, Oh my gosh, thank God. Now we can finally relax and play like the way we're capable of playing. Like, you know, I've covered, you know, managers where players griped a lot. And I, I I didn't get that sense um, from Joe. So I, you know, I think,
3: yeah, but that sounds neutral. Like, okay, we didn't hate it, but I think, I think,
0: I I think they were, I think they, they definitely respected him as a baseball guy. Um, I think they liked him, but it, and I, I wrote this a little bit yesterday, Joe was not going to be confused for Charlie. Like I said, like he, he wasn't a hangout joke around chit chat, pat a guy in the back, you know, make again, like Charlie was, Charlie was great with just silly jokes. And I know people are going to like, what does, what does that have to do with it? But just that connecting aspect of it. Yeah. Um, I don't think Joe had that. Does, Joe does not have that type of personality. He didn't have that type of personality with us. I mean, not that that matters, but Charlie could just sit there and talk to you and tell a hilarious story. Joe really wasn't that guy. Joe was all business. So, in that sense, maybe it loosens these guys up.
4: Todd, Glenn asked me, first segment today, um, is this a chain for change's sake, or are they still actually very much in this thing? Well, the standings stay they are. They're only three games out of that third wild card spot. Dombrowski pulled the plug on girardi yesterday we'll see if there are early returns with rob thompson but this team needs to do more and there is a glaring hole in center field is that dombrowski's next next step he took a, a shot with the manager and we'll see what rob thompson can de- deliver are the phillies going to double down and be aggressive and try and fill a major hole like center field
0: well you know i i think it depends how they come out of these next few weeks uh You know, they they play these next two against the Angels, then they go to Milwaukee, which is a very good team. But then after that, I think like they play 13 games in a row against losing teams, bad teams. So if they get on a roll there, and now all of a sudden they're a little bit closer to the Giants, even if they're not at 500, because they are they are buried pretty deep. You'd have to go on a heck of a run to pull out of uh you know to get over 500 in a couple weeks. But I think if they start showing some life, the offense starts rounding into shape. Then I think you could see Dave sit there and go, "Okay, how can we address our deficiencies? Which you know they have a lot of them. Um, one of them possibly being being center field. Um, one of them uh, being the bullpen. You know, so they, they have some they have some maneuvers to do, but they have to prove it. They have to go out and prove it.
3: All right. One of them being center field. One of them being the bullpen. Todd, we've been talking now for a few years. I believe that exact sentence has come up in every one of those conversations over the last." <laughs> however many years, which which gets me to a point. Um, Jim Salisbury asked a, a really good question yesterday at the news conference of Dave Dombrowski, and he said, is this problem systemic? They drafted three outfielders in the first round, and none have made it, which is why they need to sign those free agents. The last four managers have all been under five hundred; None of them made the playoffs. So maybe the issue more than the manager is scouting and development, I mean, I, I hope Moniac makes it, but uh, it's just—it's a hope and a prayer. They've been through the parade of center fielders already this year. You know, we see no right. Odubel. Is—is the Phillies' problem? This is the easiest question you'll get asked this week. Is the Phillies' problem one of they're hiring the wrong managers, or they have a systemic problem?
0: I think it's a systemic problem, and I think it—you uh, know—like it, it's easy to somebody had to take the fall, so it had to be Joe Girardi. Just like it had to be Gabe Kapler, then what happens? Gabe Kapler goes to San Francisco with a really well real, uh, front office that that has drafted and developed players well, and he wins 107 games last year. I don't think Gabe just suddenly became a good manager. Just like I don't think Terry Francona suddenly became a good manager once he got the Red Sox. He went. He joined an, an organization that was just better positioned to win. Um, I think a lot of this problem, and I've you know I, I've been listening. Um, uh, the the past, you know, I, I listen all the time to WIP, and I hear a lot of people say it's John Middleton. Is it, uh, you know, it's it's Dave Dombrowski, and uh, for for constructing this roster, it's Joe Girardi, it's you know, it's Reese Hoskins, whatever. Right? Um, to me, this all goes back to Andy McPhail and, and and the rebuild that he bungled uh, beginning in 2015. He really set this organization back. Um, you know, when, when Ruben lost his job, when Andy took over, I'm telling you, every person in baseball said, now that's a team I would like to be a GM for. I mean, the Phillies are at the beginning of a rebuild, so they're going to have a ton of high draft picks. And then, you know, John Milton is going to spend a boatload of money, uh, to, to kind of fill in the gaps, wherever they may be. Now that's the best job in baseball right now. Phillies GM Well, Andy McPhail hires Matt Klintak. And then he basically takes his hand off the wheel and, and just lets this thing kind of run aground. And so they, they don't draft well. They don't develop well. Um, they don't do a great job uh, making trades, signing free agents, Sands, you know, Bryce Harper, Zach Wheeler, etc. And now Dave Dombrowski comes in, and he's, he's looking around going, like, where do I start? Uh, so I think there's a lot of that. Like it, there's only, he only has so much money and only so many moves he can make because he has such a bad farm system to deal with. And so that's why I think they're in this, this bad position at the Ars because they really messed up that rebuild uh, beginning in 2015 with Andy McPhail.
4: All right, Todd, let me get real narrow-focused with you. One player who kind of fits into what you were just discussing. They uh, signed Francisco Morales as a very young pitcher, develop him, bring him through the system. Five years in the minor leagues, gets off to a really good start at Reading, issues in the bullpen. They kind of force-feed him up to the big leagues. He pitches a game in Seattle where he looks like a killer. The slider is just blowing people away. Three strikeouts in two innings. He gets into a second game against the Dodgers. Did hold on and get the save, even though he walked three guys. Up. But he did get the last out, which was necessary. And then he's gone. They just sent him out. They had to clear a roster spot to get Eflin back from the COVID list. He's back down in the minor leagues. I've seen enough of Connor Brogdon. I've seen enough of Norwood. Why isn't this kid in the big leagues right now? Great question i could not agree with (laughs) you more i you know morales is
0: is a he has the potential to be a big time relief pitcher and for me i've seen you know enough of james norwood to say let's give morales a shot you know he's got a wipeout slider he's got a good fastball I, i i think he is a late future late inning reliever type of guy maybe even better than that and so, yeah, I, I'm in. I'm in 100% agreement. When things aren't going well, you know, he had a little bit of command issues that game in LA. But you know, it was a, it was a second it was a second big league appearance. So, um, you know, in Reading this season, he has struck out a boatload of hitters, and he hasn't really walked that many. He's been he's been pretty good with his command. So, I I say bring him up, uh, you know, and and hopefully sooner rather than later.
3: All right, um, Todd. I, I apparently. I was unaware of this, but Andy McPhail is on line four. He had something he wanted to say to you.
10: If we don't, we don't. Exactly <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> I mean that. Yep. You know, I, I think people forget about. Um, and, and listen, like you know, Dave Dave Dombrowski. You know, he signed a couple corner outfielders that are really DHs. You know, the defense is a huge issue. It's been an issue like that for ten years. But you have to remember. You know, I'm not excusing him or anything like that. You know, they have to do a better job with roster construction, but they really set back the organization a long time with the way they drafted and developed talent, and the way they made trades and and, and all that stuff.
3: All right, last uh, question, because as you know, you can pretty much now bet almost anything, any kind of futures you want. I want to take all my money and I want to go uh, bet online as to who is the next Phillies manager. Todd Zalecki, I trust your judgment on all of these things. Who is I, – I assume that, you know, the rest of the year we get Thompson. Who mm-hmm. is the Phillies manager on opening day 2023?
0: Oh, man, that is a fantastic question. And I have not I, – I would really have to think about that, Glenn, and I, I don't have an answer for you right now. It, You're deferring depends. on me. I, I'm going to defer on you. I really couldn't say – who that might be um, coming up through the rank. You know, it could be like a, a hot bench coach of that. Teams I always seem to poach guys like that. Maybe, hey, you know what? Somebody asked me this yesterday. If, if the Phillies play well and they make the playoffs, it's obviously going to Rob Thompson. But what if they play well enough to come close Maybe they give
3: Rob Rob Thompson another shot. It'll be interesting right, to see. That's that's I guess that's what I'll bet on my money on. All right. Uh, Todd Zelecki, thank you so much. By the way, Todd is the author of the terrific best selling biography, Doc, The Life of Roy Halliday. Um, I read it and thought it was terrific. Todd it seems like Father's Day's coming up. Might be a good gift.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You can go to uh I'll even sign it and send it to you and
3: personalize it for your dad. There you go. Todd, great stuff. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Bye. All right, there you go, Todd Zalecki. Jody, your takeaway? I'm with him.
4: Um, I understand as fans we always want to be looking at the big picture and looking down the road. Let's see if Rob Thompson can get the 2-0 before we start to figure out who's going to be the Phillies manager yeah, in I 2023. I Just, you know, got to throw that in there. I know. Because oh, that, that's what the fans want to know. I, it's a very good question because uh, we're playing for the fans, but maybe it's because I, I am rooting for Rob Thompson as wholeheartedly as I am. I want to be able to root for him and go, yeah, he's going to be the manager for more than just uh, 110 games or whatever the Phillies got left this year.
3: By the way, when you looked at him yesterday, you watched, the thing on, you watched it on TV, or you've seen him before. Sure. I I saw this a little bit, and then some people we know started talking about this on social media. Uh, Old-time actor that you would know that he looks like. Really? Yeah, you want to take a look at him during the break? Study um, the picture? Yeah, nothing right, we'll come back Nothing
4: it. popped up to me. The only thing that popped up to me was, and as I mentioned, I talked to my father yesterday because he's a Robbie guy and knows him well and wanted to talk about what he could do for the Phillies and everything else. I asked him, was his nickname always Topper? Because Dabrowski called him that like three times.
3: Yeah, I never heard that, yeah. I had never
4: heard that either, so I thought maybe my father knew. He said, Topper, what are you talking about? I said, well, Dabrowski called him Topper three times. He goes, I didn't hear that. I watched the press conference. I said, Dad, at least I can, I, I know what I heard. So he asks Virginia, my stepmom, and she goes, oh, yeah, they called him Topper three times. My father goes, I guess I got to pay. I guess my hearing is going. I'm not hearing what I used to hear. Uh, Topper? Yeah, that um, I
3: didn't know. Uh, I also, th- several people reached out to me and th- and thought he was – the second baseman from the Giants back in the 90s, and he's not that Robbie Thompson.
4: Oh, different Robbie Thompson, yes. Right. Uh, no relation. <laughs> right.
3: Uh, but do me a favor. Take a look during the break and see if okay. he looks like anybody. And if anybody sees it, I'll invite you to call in. 215-592-9494. Might be a bit of a stretch, but I, it, like, ran through my mind, and then on social media I saw it a lot, so I thought, yeah, maybe he okay. does. Okay. Right. Yeah. I'll, I'll give a peek. All right, 215-592-9494. And coming up is one of my favorite features that I started doing with Ray, and I have Ray's blessing to continue with what we're watching. And the great thing this week is you and I are watching the same series. Yes. We'll compare you, you,
4: you, t- you tuned me on to it. I didn't know it. We spoke earlier in the week, and I think I've officially moved ahead of you watching more episodes. just means i got more time in the middle of my days than you do. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't know. 215-592-9494. Jody McDonald, Glenn Macnow, Saturday morning on 94 WIP. Going to have to cut a new open for that one. Uh, God bless, Ray. I enjoy doing it with, all these years with him. And the funny thing is, Ray never watched TV. Ray goes to movies, Jody. He does not right. watch TV. He's not a TV guy. <laughs> no, I thought you were la- saying you had to change it because of Heisenberg. I would say, no,
4: Heisenberg lives forever.
3: Oh, no. it's It's not the references, although some of them are skewing a little old. I mean, we cut that whatever, 10 years ago. I'll do it, but uh, as much as I love Ray, who is uh, on his way now to the Barnes & Noble in the Camp Hill Shopping Center to sign copies of his books from 1 to 3, Ray did not watch TV, but Ray often brought um, great uh, commentary about the movies, and I would cover the TV, and and Today you and I are watching the same show. So let me set this up. I want to, it's it's a hugely popular Netflix show called The Lincoln Lawyer it was the top streamer in the country for I think four straight weeks till the new season of Stranger Things dropped last week. You watch Stranger Things?
4: I have not started yet. No.
3: But you have watched you've watched previous seasons? I have not. No. Oh, you never watched Stranger Things. Okay. No. Okay. I watched the first 3 years. It's 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 pretty good. It's it's Seasons one and three are great, season two not so much. But I don't want to get bogged down that. This that. This is the Lincoln lawyer based on a character created by the writer Michael Connolly. He's also behind the uh, best-selling Harry Bosch franchise, which is another popular streamer. You, uh, people will remember the movie from 2011. Matthew McConaughey played the lead character. He's a... Uh, Oh, a a Wiley, love the word Wiley, L.A. attorney who who works out of various Lincolns. I think in the show he's got the SUV and the convertible uh, as he goes from one courthouse to another. And, Jody, you're a big Michael Connelly fan, right? You've read both the Lincoln lawyer books and the Bosch books, right? You're a good reader.
4: I think I've read everything that Michael Conley's ever written, to be truthful with you. Uh, he is one of the best mystery-slash-drama uh, writers that you're going to find. And I'm a proud fan of both he and Harlan Coben, who yeah, have both made on a, a second living at becoming a creator of television programming on top of their great books that they've already written. So, yes, I'm a big fan of both. A bigger fan of Bosch than I am of the Lincoln Lawyer, uh, even though in for this is real inside baseball. Uh, they are uh, stepbrothers to each other, and they don't know that. And Michael Conley winds two of his great characters together by making them stepbrothers. Uh, so again, Conley is is phenomenal, and uh, you turned me on to Lincoln Lawyer. I didn't even know. I read all the uh, Conley Bosch novels. I watched the Bosch uh, programming on, on Netflix as well. Uh, all the seasons that they went through, thought it was very well done and very well acted. And uh, I did not know that there was even a Lincoln lawyer uh, programming put out. And uh, yes, as you t- uh, told me that to, I needed to check it out earlier in the week. Yeah. I watched all 10 episodes. Uh, I got them all <laughs> in over the course. <laughs> all
3: right. I'm seven in. You did. You got, you got through it fast. I like going on this week. And let me just say this. You turned me on to Harlan Coben's writing um, and I've read several of his books, and really, it it was a big thrill for me when Harlan Coben started following me on Twitter. That was like, yes, nice deal. You and I both. Yeah, right. That's that's cool. He's a Jersey. I think he's a Jer- North Jersey, Jersey, Jersey guy. guy. North Jersey yeah. guy. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So that's cool. Uh, I have not read Michael Connelly. I'm going on vacation next week for a little bit. I may take some of that with me and start to read it. Anyway, let me. I, I'll let me describe it, and and then we'll go back and forth on this. So. As a show, Lincoln Lawyer, it's it's fine. It's it's good, even. It's nothing spectacular. I think I told you it's closer to me than a network show than something put out by Netflix, and by that I mean it checks all the boxes of your basic lawyer show. Um, he's a smart but rough around the edges lead character. He's got these these amazing observational skills. Um, Shark. Legal wordplay, quirky side characters, he's got the beautiful, angry, but understanding ex-wife, in this case he's got two of them, Um, some dramatic court scenes. Um, I've seen it before, which doesn't mean it's not worth watching again. That's, That's my basic takeaway.
4: Yeah, I got no issues with the quality of the uh, drama, the scene setting, the writing. Uh, I don't look down my nose at network programming as much as you do. Uh, I still watch (laughs)
3: some network television. Hey, tell me I'm a snooty TV watcher.
4: Yes, Mister Netflix. That's what I'm suggesting. Sorry to say. Uh,
3: here's right. here's my read
4: on it. Uh, be right there. I, uh, slightly better than you. Uh, I would go a minus. Uh, certainly a B plus. Maybe an, even an A minus. Not an A or an A plus because it isn't right. Uh, your your comment of kind of been there, done that before. We've seen these legal dramas, and there are a lot of similarities with others that we've seen before. But I think it's very well done. Here's my one rub. And I was, uh, I've read all the books. I've read Mm -hmm. everything that Michael Connolly's done. I didn't know or don't believe that Mickey Holler was of Mexican descent. He starts first episode and he's got an accent. And as a reader, and yes, they did the movie and Michael McConaughey certainly wasn't of Mexican descent. But you've got a uh, picture in your mind. And he's got an accident. I go, wait a minute. This guy's not supposed to have an accident. And then they start to explain that his mother was Mexican and he moved back to Mexico, with his mother, but then moved back to L.A. And his father was a former lawyer. I just didn't think of him as a Mexican guy. I guess you can do that when you're recreating something. It's kind of like uh, the the HBO show uh, on the Lakers that they kind of took certain details and changed them around and made them more
3: uh, harshly uh, cutting. Than so you're they comparing this to the life. Jerry West throwing the trophy through the glass window?
4: Yes, that's kind of <laughs> what I'm comparing it to. You can take whatever license you so desire, but I yeah. will tell you that it threw me off to start yeah. things
3: because he wasn't the Mexican guy in the books. Yeah, well, I hadn't read the book. So that, like, uh, and by the way, the actor's name is Manuel Garcia rulfo who I think is very good. Yes. Uh, having not read the books, that did not throw me off, but I, I understand how that would be a concern. The only other actor I recognize is Nev Campbell, who is one of the <laughs> ex-wives who uh, I believe I can say that she has aged very gracefully since Scream 3 or Wild Things or whatever you last saw her in. Wild Things was phenomenal. One of oh, my all-time movie. favorite movies. <laughs> and yet she has gone from a love that movie.
4: very young, just into her 20s type, tremendously attractive actress to a now mature woman. Tremendously attractive actress. So, yes, Neb Campbell still very much works for me. And uh, as Mickey's first wife, she plays it to a T. Talk about comparing to the books. Uh, yes, uh, her character is much like the one portrayed in all the Michael Connolly Lincoln lawyer novels.
3: So the basic plot line for this is that our, our hero lawyer he's just out of rehab for painkiller addiction, um, suddenly inherits the caseload from a, a big-time attorney who gets murdered, He's got to defend a high-profile killer, who, by the way, reminds me of Elon Musk, kind of the way they make that guy, uh, in a in a seemingly hopeless case, all while wondering if the people who murdered the first big-time attorney are, are after him. Fair, fair portrayal? Absolutely. On okay. point. I just hadn't made the Elon Musk uh, comparison, but you're on point on that, too. And there's, there's intermingling plots and... Terrific scenery all around LA, right? It it really makes you want to visit LA. A little little violence, not much sex. It's from David E. Kelly, who produced Boston Legal and the Practice and Big Little Lies. So if you like those shows, you like this. I mean, Jody, here's my bottom line. Um and and I don't mean this as as a criticism. This is just how I view it. It won't tax your brain. It's bingeable. Well, you got through ten episodes in about four days, so that attests yep. to that. Um, but as I said, it's kind of a streamer that could have easily played just as well on network TV. Fun, easy to watch, nothing special. Uh, L.A. Law meets Bosch, and I give it a solid B.
4: Yeah, I'd go uh, better than that, B plus, A minus. And they do a nice job, and this is one of your jobs when you're p- producing these type of TV shows for a streaming service. you got to tease the next season and they do just a good enough job at the end. They Uh wrap up everything very nicely in 10 seasons, but they leave you just a little thread to be looking forward to the next time they come out with a season, which maybe you know. I don't know off the top of my head. That's one thing you always have to check into. Well, when am I going to get the next? If you enjoy it, you're enjoying it, you're going through it. You go, well, when are they going to come out with season number two? I don't know the answer to that question, but I thought they did a good job with that as well.
3: All right, so I need a book to, to read uh, when I go on vacation next week. Um, should I read the first Lincoln Law? I mean, I saw the movie 11 years ago, but I honestly don't remember it that well. Is that where I would start? If you were going to read any Michael Connelly to start, what would be the book I should read?
4: Ooh, so you've never read any Michael Connelly?
3: No, sir. All right, I read what you tell me to read. Again, you got me in Harlan Coben. I think I've read four of his books. So I'm 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 ready to follow your guidance. Well, then I here's how I would lay it
4: out for you. And uh, you, you're going to decide for yourself because you know how much time you're going to have. And despite our uh, singing the praises of the Lincoln Lawyer, I actually believe Harry Bosch is a better character. And there are more Bosch novels, I would say, at least five, if not six or seven. So if you're just going for what is the best reading... I would start with the Harry Bosch uh, go with the number start of of the the through. Yes. Um, Lincoln Lawyer is less. It became a character developed. And as I said, Michael Connolly's tied the two together, which is really interesting. And if you go Bosch first, Michael K- Connelly will be, uh, uh, Mickey Hollow will be introduced through the Bosch novels. I would say Bosch a little bit ahead All of right. That's what uh, I'll Mickey Hollow.
3: I'll get the first. You know who uh, I always rely on for good reading lists? Who's that? M- Merrill. Really? Merrill is a great reader. Yeah, you know what? i got to have Merrill on. I may have Merrill on tomorrow if he's available. I like talking football with Merrill. More than that, I like talking books because Merrill is always reading something interesting. And he yeah, will... but
4: the one the go one ahead. place you don't want to go with Merrill is golf game because he'll just talk and talk and talk. At yeah, that well, he... Merrill so loves golf. You I'm... get off on a golf tangent with Merrill, you may never get a football question in.
3: Yeah, he can do that. All right, Jody, I asked you the question. and you had time to think about it. Does Rob Thompson look like any old Hollywood actor to you? Punched up
4: the picture and nothing clicked. I'm sorry to say, Glenn, I may be letting you down, and I apologize that's for okay. that. If it does, it uh, does. Yeah, it, it clicks or it doesn't, and nothing came off the top of my head. He looks like Rob Thompson to me, only because that's all I know Rob Thompson has.
3: Okay. There's an expression called "hangdog," which I think fits him, which is just kind of a little bit of a downcast looking guy, uh, a lot of lines on his face. And I saw it a little bit. And then I think Ava Graham and Bill Matz both started tweeting about this. And many, many people agreed that he looks like Walter Matthau, particularly if you go back to Bad News Bears, which may be the team he's managing. Oh, that's
4: funny. Um I understand your use of the word hangdog because Walter Matthau was hangdog. No question about that. He's the dictionary entry. Right. You look up in the dictionary and there's Walter's picture. Uh, I would not throw Rob Thompson into that same mix. Uh, He's not near as hangdog as Walter Matthau. that, That didn't come to me right off the bat. If Ava says it, then I give it credence. If Matt says it, then I dismiss it. Uh, so I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll just uh, go along with, uh,
3: with the fact that Matt has no idea what he's talking about. Okay. All right, that's fine. 215 592 94 94. 215 592 94 94. He's Jody McDonald. I'm Glenn Mack now. Here's a swing and a blast to left. That's going to be number five on the night. Second homer for Harper tonight.
2: Solo shot, straight away left field. And it's 10 on the board tonight for the Phillies as Harper with his 12th
3: gives Philadelphia a 10 nothing lead. Well, there it is. When he can play, when he can bat. Bryce Harper has been amazing this year, but he has had to sit out a few times and clearly he cannot play the field. And that leads us to our question with our friend from Cooper Bone & Joint, Dr. Mark Pollard, who joins us today. Doc, how are you? i'm great how are you doing good we're fine um so we've discussed you and i uh bryce harper's ucl and him kind of playing through it, at least being able to bat through it if he can't throw um but it does seem to be getting worse he was off earlier this week because it was sore um two questions can he by playing is he potentially making it worse and And, you know, again, with always the caveat that you're not looking at his test results and you're not looking directly at his elbow, is there a certain point where you say, okay, we think we have to, you know, we have to pull the plug and go to the next treatment?
6: Um, Well, uh, in response to the first part, you know, can it be made worse by uh, playing? And the answer, of course, is, you know, yes. Um, Of course, there's always the possibility of the worsening things. Obviously, they have him kind of modifying his activities, you know, doing uh, just batting and not throwing. The throwing really is what puts, you know, most of the stress on that area and the thing that's most likely to, um, you know, make things worse or, you know, complete a partial tear or something like that. Um, And so, uh, in response to part two, you know, do you get to a certain point that uh, you just, you know, pack it in and uh, say, you know, it's time to do surgery. And that's kind of a, a slippery question. Um, you know, the, the answer is kind of a moving target. Uh, you know, obviously the, you know, the goal is to you know have it heal up all the way and not need to have any surgery and not miss any time, but <clears throat> clearly that's not necessarily uh, the way things are going. And so, you know, it's uh, sometimes, you know, certainly if the symptoms are getting worse, if, you know, they get, you know, another MRI or study that show that the, that, you know, things are actually worsening, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, in the ligament, you know, the tear is increasing, then that would probably be when you would, you know, make the decision to uh, shut it down and do the surgery. Obviously, if surgery is done, that would end his season. And so, you know, I think certainly they're trying to, the ideal situation, again, is to let it heal, you know, get it to heal all the way without surgery and then get him back full function. But it just doesn't seem to be the way things are progressing.
4: Doc, the uh, Harper injury is not the only thing the Phillies were dealing with. Now they're going to be without their second baseman for a period of time. The other night, Jim Segura took a pitch on the hand And he kind of casually walked off the field. Uh, You you had the feeling that, uh uh-oh, caught him dead on the hand. This could be an issue. Find out broken finger. I was hoping month. Found out two two and a half to three, 10 to 12 weeks. How bad a break must it be if he's going to be missing that much time if the early diagnosis is on point?
6: Yeah, difficult to say. Um, You know, I, I hadn't heard of him needing to have surgery or anything like that for it, so that's probably you know a good sign but you know i guess if the if the fracture is kind of towards the joint uh, or in you know multiple pieces obviously it's going to take longer to longer to heal you know certainly some finger fractures it also depends on which bone it is um how long how long it would take and how long you would need to protect it so obviously this is seems to be one of the ones that takes a little longer
3: yeah, scary stuff, and uh, their season kind of is uh, on the edge right now. Um, Doctor Mark Pollard, it is always a pleasure. Enjoy this beautiful weekend, my friend. All right, great. Thanks. You too. Hi, uh, thank Thanks, you very Parker. much. Yeah, the Harper thing, Jody. I mean, I know you know what you said earlier. I can't really disagree with, which is as long as you're in contention and he can play, you do it. You do it. You do it. But if if, if they fall, you know, whatever, fifteen games back, right? And it's the July 4th, and you know the surgery could take him out for nine months. Well, math to me says makes more sense to gear for 2023.
4: Right, but there are two sets of math here. We discussed this at the top of the show. I misquoted the uh, baseball playoffs, the way they're going to lay out this year. Yeah, they're well behind the Mets, and the Mets are having a phenomenal season, and they may just run away and hide. I don't know that anyone can less than a third of the way into the season, but if you can, the Mets are it right now in Major League Baseball. But they're only three games out of the third wild card spot, so that is certainly something that's doable, and the other factor in this is... Oh, by the way, Harper's being Harper, which is MVP level production. Yeah, if yeah. the if the uh, elbow was also causing him to not be able to drive the ball out of the park, and or he was struggling offensively, he was still a, a good player, but not MVP level. He's still Bryce Harper, like we know and and hope Bryce Harper can be. So until we see a drop off, and or he says I'm having trouble swinging the bat as well. Oh, I think they're going to keep Bryce Hopper in the lineup on a day-in, day-out basis, truly, until they're mathematically eliminated from a wild-card spot.
3: All right, let's grab a couple calls here. Alan Winwood's got some thoughts on the Sixers. Al, thanks for joining. Hey, guys,
10: nice to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, this, all right, first I want to praise Joel Embiid for being a warrior and going out there with multiple injuries. He's always done that. He's always been a warrior. He always plays hard. And he came in more fit this year. That was good. He played more games, Um, so all that is very good. Uh, I I feel
3: there's a a, Jody. There's a butt coming here. I just sense it.
10: (laughs) The butt is. I need him to progress a little more as a complementary player and as a passer. He's some people are more retiring. He's the opposite. He tends to take everything on himself somewhat. So I want him to be become that high. uh, You know top-of-the-key passer, which he very well could be, to get the other players to feel like they're going to get the ball, to be more of a team. I mean, when you look at the other teams that are still in this, Golden State, Miami was, Boston. I mean, one of the things you're struck by is they're a team. There's no egos out there. They're just trying to win. And the
3: Sixers. All right, let me me take this and, and ask Jody the question that seems obvious out of this. Jody, who should Joel be deferring to here?
4: Right. Uh, Now that you have Harden, Harden going to be back for another year. It was a different team and a different type of offense they ran when Harden came aboard. I actually thought Joel made progress in being what the caller was just referring to, more of a team player, more of a better, better passer, setting up teammates, finding wide open guys. I think he took strides in that direction this year. He had the ability to take lots of strides because the call is right. He hasn't always been great at that. It's been score not much else, just throw it back out not without any purpose or setting someone up for shots. So I, I hope that he takes another step in that direction this year, but I, I would not make that something that uh, is an issue or a problem with Joel Embiid. I, I wouldn't call it a strength, like uh, his ability to score the basketball, but I think he did uh, advance his game in that way this year.
10: Other concern is uh, Tyrese Maxey. I mean, I think he's the second best player behind Embiid, and I don't want to see him stalled by Harden. Uh, you know, if Harden can't, unless he's been hurt, I mean, he showed that clearly that he has difficulty getting around players. If you can't penetrate and you're the point guard, that's a problem. So yeah. Maxey can, and he has a huge upside still. So I, I guess I'm, I'm concerned somewhat that he is going to be developed, as he should be, because... I don't see a ceiling for him. I mean I would say is he a, a Trey young player? Well I don't know. Maybe I don't know if he's as good as that or not, but I, I think he could go in that direction. So that's what I He is
3: young and he is exciting and I think there's a huge upside there. And Jody, I just think it does. I mean he kind of alluded to it, Al the caller, but I think it all it it always circles back to Harden and what he's gonna be next year. And the way this year finished was just so discouraging to me and we don't know that yet that's the problem if we knew that he was
4: locked he's gonna be here no question that this is it going for we're still sitting in that gray area in the middle because he hasn't opted in or opted out of the one-year contract and until they do that we're all just guessing at what the sixers are going to be next year and here's the thing about tyrese maxey phenomenal season starts the year he's going to be the two guard ben Simmons going to be the point guard going to take a step forward Oh, guess what? By the way, Tyrese, we need you to run the point because Ben doesn't want to play. He's uh, sitting at home. And gets thrown out of practice, and off we go to the entire Ben Simmons drama. So he steps in as the point guard, does a great job, advances his game in season. Guess what? Here comes James Harden. Sorry, Tyrese, you got to go back to playing a two guard and play with the ball, play without the ball in your hands. And oh, by the way, he makes that transition back swimmingly and is phenomenal with it. He truly is the second best player, as the call has stated. Here's the one thing about Tyrese don't put too much pressure on the kid. He was picked in the 20s. He made a massive, huge jump up here in year number two. Uh, does Gus from Bethlehem call you guys on the weekend? No. He doesn't call you guys? Okay. We, uh, Gus, just, Gus calls me. Just, uh, we we – no we, no, we don't. All right. uh, Gus is uh, seen no evil here, no evil with the 76ers. And he actually said when Tyrese had the 38-point game to start the playoffs this year – Oh, it'll become a recurring uh, uh, appearance by those type of numbers and level of achievement. Like I said, that's just not fair. Don't do that to the kid. He, he he has made such strides and has achieved such a level so fast. Don't expect more. Don't put too much pressure on the kid. And oh, by the way, as you correctly point out, we don't even know what the fit's going to be next year because we don't know what Harden's status is.
3: I know, and to me, it always circles back to that. Chris, in media, oh, Chris wants to like the Phillies and Michael Connolly. Chris, start with the writer. What do you got on him?
9: So, I mean, the first thing you got to know is he's a Philly guy. He spent his first uh, 10, 15 years. He was born here. His dad was a property developer here. Is that right? Um Yeah, so he grew up here before he went away to, to Florida and then eventually uh, L.A. He's talked about it a couple of times in podcasts. He's, he's a really... He really informs the right the the reader about the place that he's writing about,
2: yep. mm-hmm. which
9: makes it a, a brilliant read. I mean, you feel like you're part of L.A. when you're reading his stuff. So um, Jody I says start, I should
3: start on the Bosch novels. Do you agree? You should you should
9: definitely start with the Black Echo, which is the first Bosch novel. that introduces his first wife. Um, it's before he has his daughter, Maddie. Um, Wait, Jody, it? Not that daughter. Not that, 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 is not, that is not the reason
4: that I am as big a Harry Bosch fan as I am. The fact that his daughter has the same exact name. But my daughter has no. It's because he's that great a character.
3: All right. I'm starting with the Black Echo. I'm, again, next week I'm going to have my feet up at the beach and that book in my hands. And by the way, I'm not as much, I don't like a Kindle outside. I'm taking a book. Book.
9: All right. You, you gotta you gotta buy the hardback. Yep. Read it on the beach. Yep. I'm um, in. I was really afraid that this week I was going to be crying, listening, you know, not having Ray on, but having my old friend Jody on, who I go back to overnights with, is just amazing. Um, you mentioned Maddie. Some of the best radio ever was when Maddie Mac was on with Jody Mack. So this is a great day for me to hear you guys reunited.
3: Um, well, I'm, I'm delighted, and thank you. I appreciate that. I'm sure Jody does as well. Our
4: pleasure. And, oh, by the way, speaking of getting books, uh, you tried to steal my book last
3: week, Mac. Now? What book? Oh, oh, yeah. Well, let's let Chris finish the call, and then we'll we'll talk about that. Go <laughs> ahead, Chris. Uh, you guys can argue in a
9: minute. Um,
3: so, who's going to
9: play second base for the Phillies now for the next couple of weeks? Because it sounds like the shoulder
3: is bad for Maton. Yeah, that's what I mean. Todd said he couldn't lift it up yesterday, so I guess Camargo. So, Andor, I mean, this
9: puts us in a situation. You know, when you're looking at the infield, we've got, you know a bunch of guys who are playing either out of position or really aren't great infielders. We've got like five DHs on the team. Yeah. Is is it time so if we're not going to get Bryce Harper back when do we begin to say okay do this I mean you guys just talked about July 4th is it do the surgery and do a sell cuz we got to do that bef- before August 3rd.
4: Not happening. There's no way they're taking this team. They are going to have to so drastically fall out of it. As Glenn was referring to about Harper potentially going the surgery route, same thing with the the Phillies deciding, all right, let's take it back down and apart rather than build it back up. When you go four years for Castellanos and Schwarber at the numbers you did, it makes it uh, tremendously difficult to do so. What they The only way they could do it, I had Jim Salisbury on with me during the nights this week here on uh, WIP. They would have interest in their starting pitching. If you're going to keep Wheeler because Wheeler's a race and his contract is big, too, so you might not get what you should get in return for a Cy Young-level pitcher. Nola, Eflin, Ranger, they could move any of those guys, but then are you ready for Christopher Sanchez starting every fifth day for you going forward? Or do you want to see Bailey falter as part
3: of your rotation? Oh God. That, that's the, the, what the, it would take. The, the second one's an easy one. Chris, thanks so much for the call. Yeah, I'm not ready to do that today. But um, Chris mentioned August 3rd, so today is June 4th. Today's my son's birthday. Happy birthday, Ted. We'll call Happy you. Happy birthday. There you go. Um, so that's two months away. Uh, I think I'll know better in one month. Right. That, that's the that, you know. Let, let's talk on July 4th, and and I'll have a plan between the fireworks. It's a so, uh, conversation to be tabled. Agree. So you mentioned stealing your book, and I, it yes. was so fun. So last week, last Saturday. We, uh, oh, you know what? we got to take a break. I'll tell the story as soon as we get back. 215-592-9494. Love to hear from you. He's Jody McDonnell. I'm Glenn Macnow. We're going to work the Eagles and some changes they made into the conversation coming up right here on 94WIP. All right. Along with Jody McDonnell, I'm Glenn Macnow, 94WIP. Um, but Jody, before we get into the, the, the case of the, the mystery bag, I, w- I want to tell you that I'm reading the Michael Connolly bio on Wikipedia and he, in fact, was born in Philadelphia and lived here until he was twelve. I missed working with Michael Connolly by a matter of weeks or months. Really? So yeah. So my new when when I started my career, I used to write for the Fort Lauderdale News and Sun Sentinel. I remember that you're yeah. talking
4: about your fondness for Florida and thought you might be there for a long time. Boom! You got out of Dodge, got to Detroit, went from. 75 and or uh, to 100 every day to uh, tough Detroit winners.
3: That all correct. And I moved to Detroit in February 1981 in the middle of winter um, from Fort Lauderdale because I got a really good job with the Detroit Free Press, and so that was it. And I was going to live there forever until I didn't, until I went to work for the Enquirer and then here at WIP. But I wrote for the Fort Lauderdale News and Sun Sentinel, and I'm reading the Connolly's bio, and it said, he started out as a crime writer for the Daytona Beach News Journal, where he worked for two years until he went to the Fort Lauderdale News and Sun Sentinel in 1981. For all I know, he got my, got my job, got my desk. <laughs> I, I left there in 1981, which I, I don't know what month he got hired, but man, would have been cool to know him before he was him. Little did either one of you know that you were going to go on through bigger and better things. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure he's part can, of- <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure he's quite as impressed, but nonetheless. Yeah, 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 um, so here's the thing. So we had the party for Ray last Saturday, which was really nice. And I give station management and everybody at station, Cindy Webster, Rod Lakin, Davey Agaroff like a ton of credit for just doing it right with Ray. You were there. You saw what a nice event it was.
4: Which, by the way, that cake... Was almost too cool to eat. Amazing.
3: Yeah, sweet treats. Sweet treats over in, um, uh, I'm going to say it wrong. It's not Hamilton. It's, what's the town that starts with an H in New Jersey? Haddonfield. Haddonfield. Thank you. Yeah. That's the bakery Yeah it was made it was the yellow legal pads and in fact it was flawlessly perfect. you felt guilty cutting into it. I did I really did I almost did I wanted a piece in the worst way, but I almost said like right. no you can't
4: you, Ray needs to take that home and put it under uh, something and save it for the rest of his life. <laughs> hopefully the ants don't get at it but it was one of the most impressive cakes I've ever seen.
3: Yeah, and and the whole party was really nice, and a lot of people came. You came, other people from the stations came. Seth Joyner came, uh, Fran Dunphy came by. The Philly Fanatic made a great appearance. Philly, did were you there when my grandson saw the Philly Fanatic? I missed. I didn't oh, get there man. till
4: uh, like eleven twenty, and you said your grandson was in and out in the first hour. and change.
3: Yeah, well, he took a he f- took a header off a chair, and that kind of ended the fun. Oh. But but well, he's two. He was having a great time, and he the Philly Fanatic. You never know is a two year old going to like or be scared of the Philly fanatic, right? Right. Can go either his, way. Right. His father had explained literally the day before they were he was getting his hair cut and the haircut place had a life size cut out of the fanatic. So his dad has explained this is the Philly fanatic and maybe we'll go to a game and we'll see him. So so when he saw the fanatic, he loved him, which was great. And I asked him the next day, I said, You saw the fanatic he goes, Yeah. I said, What did you, what do you think of him? He goes, Big. Big <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so we have this nice party for Ray. His family is there, the whole thing. And Ray and I are broadcasting the show as other people are mingling around. And then the show ends. And, damn it, I can't find my bag. Where's my bag? And I'm looking all over the place. And it's a very distinct bag, which is a swag giveaway from uh, HBO Boxing from a fight how long ago? Right, Way back. Showtime. Got to get Show, the, Showtime, uh, not the, HBO by, Showtime by, yeah, Out of course, correct. there you go, red and black, and so I finally located, it's like, oh, thank God, there it is, and I pick it up, and I said, somebody stuck a book in my bag, that's not my book, a mystery novel, it's like, it's weird, and I also noticed that, like, the pad that I keep in it wasn't there, but I figured, all right, well, I don't care about the pad, and whoever put the book in, I don't know if they were trying to give me a book, I'll put the book on the table, and I started to load my other stuff into the bag, and Jody, you take it from there.
4: Yes, someone, not me, someone else pointed out to me, by the way, I think Glenn took your bag. I said, what? What are you talking about? And I left my bag over there. He said, yeah, he walked over. I saw you put your bag down, and Glenn came over and got it. Don't know if you guys are going out together where they're I don't know what you're talking about, so I go over, and you are taking my book out of my bag, which you've <laughs> now loaded with three-quarters of your stuff. Yeah. And I go, Mac, what are you doing? Hey, you put, you take my bag? And you go, It's your bag? No, no, it's just Showtime Boxing. I said, yes, mine's Showtime Boxing as well. And then we eventually found your bag, and you said, oops, my bad. Uh, Sorry about that, Joe. And it worked out fine, but I just thought it was hysterical that you and I had the same exact bag. We haven't been partners in 20 years, but we've got the same exact
3: bag given to us as swag from covering boxing. Way back, though, right? I mean, I feel like this. So the story with me is I have this herniated disc in my back which really bothers me and one of the things they said is don't carry anything heavy don't carry anything big so this is it's a much smaller bag than the backpack i use so i pulled it from like the back of the closet where it had been do you remember is this a mayweather fight you remember what fight this was for I I know, and I got mine,
4: Uh, and you may have gotten it somewhere else if you covered a boxing match. And Showtime gives out these uh, swag bags that you can then help advertise them going forward if you use it. Mine was Lennox Lewis, Mike Tyson in Memphis that Showtime paid for us to go down and do shows. This is one of my other partners. Oh, yeah, no. After you, buddy, uh, when Sid Rosenberg and I were partners up at FAN, uh, we went down and did three days of shows leading up to the fight and they gave uh, the bag out to those of the media members who came in to help preview the fight so i even remember where i got it and i almost lost it on saturday because you almost walked away with it
3: <laughs> mine was mine was a mayweather fight in vegas oh gosh i was working with anthony it had to be prior to 2013 so it's it's i think I, that bags that mine is a decade old what are the yeah, odds mine's anyway i'm
4: close to it yeah same thing
3: yeah it was, it was a uh, it was a funny funny moment Uh, I want to get into the Eagles, but Chuck and Sherry Hill's got something on the Phillies. Let's get them up here. What's on your mind, Chuck?
11: Hey, guys. Good afternoon. Great shows. Always keep up the good work. Uh, Thank you. I got a question, Joe. We look at this thing on our podcast. It's a systemic problem they've got. It's not two injuries. They've got a situation with the bullpen, you know, almost at the bottom, uh, with your defense at the bottom. You take a look at the offense, middle of the pack. Starting pitching is very good. So short, long term, if you're trying to fix this thing. It's to the point where the problems are overwhelming. You know, teams go first to third routinely. That's extra, you know, extra runs allowed. Uh, the corner in the infield and the outfield. It's a disaster. You know, is this the group that you can whip into shape to actually play above 500 ball, or is just a group you look at and you have to start to dismantle? And, and go in a different direction. I mean, it's the
3: conversation we've been having. Right.
4: All yeah, I mean, it, it's a fair ahead, question, and, and Glenn just gave you the answer, which is uh, I'm sorry. I wasn't I That's guess, okay. I just, we just can't make on. that call. You want to make that call today. I understand why you want to make that call today. You can't. They just right. changed managers. They're going to give Rob Thompson, he's 1-0, uh, a little bit to prove whether he is or isn't the guy for this team. Uh, the trade deadline is August 2nd this year. Usually it's July 31st, but I guess Major League Baseball doesn't want to do anything on the weekends anymore. I don't yeah. know when that <laughs> came into play that they, they move key dates like trade deadlines around for convenience purposes. So the yeah. trade yeah. deadline is August 2nd. We got two months to get there. So the Phillies need to see what they have, what they built. Was it good? Was it off? Did they uh, overemphasize offense and not enough emphasis on defense? Call us back on July 4th. If
11: it it points that way, would they? If it points in in the wrong way, would they make moves like
4: that? Go ahead, Jody. You
3: you said earlier, and I think you're right. They've
4: they've got contracts that don't allow them to do that.
3: Uh, Schwarber
4: and Castellanos can't be moved at this point. Who are you moving?
11: there's a kid, the minors, Morales. This kid's numbers are insane. He's got 35 Ks in 22 innings and 3.6 hits per nine. I think they got to get this guy Morales back up, give him an opportunity in the bullpen.
4: So you this is why you have to listen to the whole show because I asked Todd yeah, Zalicki about Morales it. earlier today. Came up, had two decent games, one really good game, one decent game, got a save, and they send him out for no apparent reason. He needs to be back in the big leagues ASAP. You and I are in agreement on that.
3: I want to work something in here on the Eagles because I keep teasing it. By the way, this hour is sponsored by Meridian Bank Business Banking at its best. Visit them at meridianbanker.com. So the Eagles made a couple of moves uh, yesterday. They uh, promoted uh, John Ferrari to vice president of football operations and compliance. And they uh, promoted Alec Hallaby. Uh, a name that we'll get back to in a moment, to Vice President of Football Operations and Strategy. Both are given assistant GM titles. Also, they um, they promoted Connor Barwin, which I, uh, I like. I don't remember his exact title. I think he might be. He had a player personnel now. Um, loved him as a player. I think he's a terrific guy. We've had him as a guest on Tell Your Story. Really smart. But the big news there really um, is that Jeff Lurie's son, Julian, has been given an official role with the team. He is – the title is Business and Football Operations Strategy. I don't know if it's director of, vice president, whatever, but that's what he is. Uh, Jody, Julian is 27. Jeff Lurie, his dad, is 70. We don't have to work hard to read these tea leaves, right? Not at all. Um, And uh,
4: Jeff Lurie is a very good owner, and he did make a statement, didn't feel questioned, but did make a statement this week about – it's a very advantageous situation. He's been in the last couple of years working through the NFL Rotational Program, which is a bunch of children, offspring of owners to get them a feel for one day being able to take over a national football league team. Damn, I wish I was in that program. I was about, uh, but... I
3: was about to say, I love my dad and everything he's done, but Geez, I wish my dad owned an NFL team. That seems like a pretty good gig. (laughs) Really nice program to be able to join in.
4: Uh, But to uh, Julian Lloyd's credit, he did it. He is now with the Eagles, didn't have an official title. Now he does. Uh, He's going to take over the Eagles at some point. Unless, of course, he decides not to. Jeff kind of opened that door this week by saying, if this is what he chooses to do, Mm. Well, what's he going to do? Buy buy and run a string of Wawa's? No, (laughs) he thinks he's going to run the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, So I know Jeff didn't want to put the pressure on him and come right out and say it. But yeah, you can read through this one very easily that eventually he's going to take over the team. And I think it's a good thing to get him involved. Let him be part of the organization, be around it. If someday he's going to take over the team, rather than have Jeff Lurie sell it to a, a good buddy of Glenn's, uh, Norman Brayman, point two. I uh, don't think we exactly. want to go there
3: again. I, no, no, you hit it. You you it's- hit it exactly. Which is, I, I know because uh, I, I listened to WIP this week, and a lot of people. are like, Oh no, he's going to be running it. He's an analytics guy. His friend is how analytics. Like w- whatever he is. He is the son of Jeff Lurie, who, as you said, and I agree, has done a very – he's one of the best owners in the history of Philadelphia sports. Uh, This franchise has been very successful on the field and off. And I'd rather this than have his kid, than have Julian or Jeffrey, sell the team to the unknown, the carpetbagger. I mean, you know, most owners we don't love. Uh, Norman Brayman is the name you brought up, who was the previous owner. Keeping the Eagles in the family for another generation uh, makes sense to me for their, their kind of long-term being.
4: Here's the only potential downside, and I, I'm not worried about it much, but I can't say it's zero percent because I think it's a good thing, and, and the fact that he's going through the steps is a good thing as well. I think it's been handled as best as it can be. He is 27. He has been. He was down a senior bowl with the guy. So we know that now he's got an official title. So he's going to have a voice within the organization. It should still be the voice of a 27-year-old, not not a guy who's coming in and dictating things. The only one who will determine this is Jeff Laurie himself. How much influence does he have right away? If he comes in and continues to learn and is certainly given his opinion, but is it necessarily acted upon just because his last name's Laurie then that's a good thing. If Jeff is ready to fast-track this and is ready to step – even while he's still the owner, but his son is making significant decisions about the future, the only fear is it could come a little bit too quickly. Other than that, I think this is a very good thing that Eagle fans should be happy about.
3: Well, and that's where people are nervous because so he, he goes to college and his his I don't say his roommate his friend is this guy Alec Hallaby who is now there and just got promoted and he's uh, he's an analytics guy right the Harvard grad which I know makes football fans nervous but I mean it is not in case that he's probably got a brain um, and his his voice has kind of been picking up in the organization since he got here which by the way was. I think a decade ago, and the Eagles had some people leave recently to take jobs with other teams, and I know there's this natural inclination to think, "Uh uh-oh, you know, they're moving to this young Harvard non-football guy as the analytics guy and so on. If that happens and if they start to tumble and if they lose their way, I will share that, but I'm not going to be afraid in advance that any of this is bad news. So, Too early go. to do it. We don't even.
4: Yep. We're just speculating on it could happen. Let's wait till it actually happened before we get crazy about it.
3: So, your brother was a, a, a baseball lifer, general manager, and scout, and all that. And my dad was a uh, was a commercial artist and advertising guy in Western New York, and uh, we're both proud of him. But Jody, all due respect, if my dad owned a professional franchise <laughs> <laughs> and said, you know, son. I think it's time for me to just hang out here. The reins are all yours. That would not have been a bad thing.
4: Yeah, I think we both did just fine. We're not complaining about the DNA lottery, but there are some Mega Millions winners out there, which you and I might not be. That's correct.
3: Rob in Westchester wants to join us. Hello, Rob. Hi, how are you doing?
8: I just want to say how much I'm enjoying listening to you guys. I've listened to both of you for years and years. Jody back when he was on the New York stations. And Glenn and you and and uh, Ray every every weekend I love Ray and you and and you guys sound so great together. But I want to tell you a more detailed analysis of why you sound so great together. Not only are you brilliant with your sports knowledge, both of you, but you are both brilliant speakers and radio people. And this 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 is unbelievable. I am so excited that you that Jody, you're gonna come on. And what I just what I told the the other station channel because they had a substitute come on Joe Giglio and he's freaking awesome. So you just like this is the Eddie Di Bartola, Jr. 49ers from the 80s and Eddie had Steve Young on the bench behind Joe Montana winning Super Bowls. They didn't know wow. what to do with Steve. It's like okay, I got to play sometime. I'm gonna be in the Hall of Fame, right? So they finally had to put in Young, but because Montana got hurt and then Montana. Ended up getting traded to Kansas City and all that. But Eddie had the money pre-salary cap to pay Steve Young a fortune to sit on the bench for three years or whatever he did. He came so in and So in lot. this equation,
3: jo- Jody is Steve Young. Jody is Steve, Steve Young. Young. Ray, Ray is, is Joe Steve Montana. Montana.
8: Jody is Steve Young. I'm And you guys don't miss a beat because it's the greatest sports
4: channel oh, in so the nice. world.
3: Thank you. So that's very nice of him.
4: Thank you very much. And, oh, by the way, it's funny because we were just talking about Jeff Lurie. You and I were together when the Eagles were sold to Jeff Lurie, and someone asked him about his tie to the 49ers, and Jeff Lurie said what, uh, MacMahon?
3: He said, "I'm. I want to run this like Eddie DiBartolo, and so on and so on." Yes.
4: So, but we asked him, "Who who would be the Carmen policy?" Oh,
3: that's of this group. That's and right. And he said, "That would be me." He said, and me? You and I just both looked like, at each oh, other like, "Oh, uh oh, yeah." You know Uh-oh. what else I remember? You know what else I remember about that back then? Um, because we went to like the the he had like a party and a get together, and he's throwing around the football. Remember that? Um, and it's like. I remember you and I were the first to get that interview after yeah. he announced, right? Because yep. I mean not that we were brilliant; it was just our day part. And he comes on, and he's like, "Yeah, I, you know, I really like the fans. I'm one of you guys, and I'm going to hang out, and you're going to find me in the parking lot before and after games." And he did that for a year or two, and then I think somebody persuaded him, like, "Look, you're the owner; like, don't mingle with the fans because mostly they'll tell you when you stink." And he he pushed back. He didn't push back. He pulled back, and you didn't see him as much. But when he started, he was like, you know, I want to hang out at the bar and have a beer with you guys and talk football.
4: Which was smart on his part. Somebody gave him a very good piece of advice. And the other thing he mentioned uh, when he was on with us was uh, that he was a mock draft guy that uh, before oh, yeah. owning the year that he would get together with friends and they'd go through their lists and scouting right. reports and everything else. Yeah. And, hey, according to Jeff this offseason, whenever he's gotten involved, he always gets it right. Yeah. The picks that he continue to make are the ones that yeah, have worked out right. tremendously. I'm for responsible for <laughs>
3: That's exactly right. For this one and this one and this what, what about the What about that Oh, no, I had nothing to do with yeah, that no, guy. No, 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 no. <laughs> right. What about that fireman who played guard? No, no, no. I, 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 that wasn't me. That was the other people. Yeah, all right. 2-1-5-5-9-2-94-94. Zach, hang in there. Anybody else wants to join, please do. And coming up, the Sixers, as Jody mentioned earlier, now have the 23rd pick in the NBA draft. I'm going to throw a couple names by MC uh, if anyone uh, – Anyone strikes his fancy. He's Jody McDonald. I'm Glenn Mack Now, um, this segment, by the way, sponsored by Meridian Bank. Business banking at its best. Visit the MeridianBanker.com. We're here on ninety-four WIP. All right, Jody, who's this band? Welcome to the jungle. That would be
4: GNR.
3: There you go. I always count on you for that. So yeah, you know what? I, you and I never agreed much on music. That I do remember that. I do remember we have very different tastes. Different or musical taste. That's fine. That's perfectly fine. No, it's great. It's great, but it comes back to me. Uh, this segment sponsored by Meridian Bank. Business banking at its best. Visit them at meridianbanker.com. Zach in Mount Laurel is with us. Hey, Zach.
12: Hey, gentlemen. How's it going? Good. So I have two quick points to get to before my actual reason for calling. First off, I've never been so happy to have a commercial break. To wait through before getting on because Rob is a really hard caller to follow. Up.
3: <laughs> okay, like well there you go. You that's, got your buffer. That's a
12: great guy right there. Yeah, there you go. Um, also, I, I wanted to get in earlier. Uh, I couldn't. I was on the way to work. But uh, congrats to Ray and his excellent career. I've been listening for a little while now, and whenever he's on, I I just I love listening. It's it's such an easy listen. It's so much fun. Um, Ray has been
3: point- uh let me let me just say it has been my privilege to partner with Ray for 21 years. Uh I you know we did a our send-off last week and I got a little choked up and he did and it was all it was all very sincere and um I wish Ray his best. I mean he really does plan to retire. And take it easy, although he's doing a book signing today, actually. I'll give him one last plug. If you're in the Camp Hill area today, Ray is signing copies of his books at the Barnes & Noble in the Camp Hill Shopping Center. He retires and spends his first week driving to Camp Hill. But anyway, what else you got? So
12: I'm I'm a little confused, and and I will state the fact I'm 26, so a lot of the old head fans already are going to stop listening to me and what I have to say about the Eagles. But I don't see much issue with Julian Laurie being brought up and being put in position for the ownership. I very much appreciate that Jeffrey Laurie has not just said, oh, yeah, he's going to get it. He's, put, he's saying, all right, you got to work for it. You got to get yourself familiar. You got to, like, we're a blue collar town. That's, that's what Philly's been for decades. We're blue-collar. We work for what we get. And Jeff's doing the same thing to his son. He's saying, all right, if you're going to own this team, you got to work for it. you got to earn your place, earn your knowledge. And when you get to a point where he's got it and he knows what he's doing, he has a chance to get it. And I appreciate that. What do you guys feel?
4: Jody, you go first. My only issue was, and I hear exactly what you're saying, and what you're saying is is certainly accurate, come on we know it's gonna happen uh, just jeff's statement this week from if this is what he chooses to do what else is he going to choose
3: to do Jody, I, I... he could he could live on a lot for on a, on a lot on a yacht for the next 10 years circling the world you know but but yes i i agree this is going to be it
4: he's going to be the guy and and both glenn and i agree it's a good thing for the eagles the unknown here uh they, i guess uh, julian is in part an unknown but the unknown of someone else buying the team to me is much scarier than julian Laurie taking it over at some point
3: yep i i 100 agree he could do a lot worse yeah. i mean he I grew up he grew up in this right from the time he was a little kid and You know, a friend of mine, uh, Andy, just sent me a note, uh, like, what about uh, Ed Snyder and Jay Snyder? And, yeah, Jay Snyder did not work out when uh, Ed Snyder tried to give him the reins, although he did get Eric Lindros, which seemed like a great idea at the time. Um, And it can go bad, but I will assume that this kid is bright, that he's learned from his father the values of owning a football team, um, I like Jody. Think that Jeff Lurie's done a good job, and and you feel the same way. And I'll 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 take my shot with him as opposed to the unknown.
12: Yeah, I mean I think as as far as decisions for the future goes, the Eagles as a whole have made good, solid decisions. Whether they pan out or not is for the birds, but. They seem like they are making the most rational decisions for themselves going forward
3: yep I agree i 'm uh, Zach nicely put. no argument from me uh, okay two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four jody I want to throw something in here that uh, we alluded to earlier, and i I know that you watch college basketball uh, a lot and you know what you 're watching, and I trust your opinion. And as we said, the Nets uh, announced earlier this week that they've decided to let the Sixers keep that number 23 pick uh, for the June draft. And um, so the Nets get the Sixers' 2023 first-round pick. And what it says to me, I mean, it's pretty easy to interpret this, Jody. It means the Nets figure that the next year's pick moves up if the Sixers aren't very good. And they think the Sixers will be worse next year, right? No other way to read that.
4: That's part of it. You can't just dismiss that out of hand. There could be more to it than that. The Nets have what they believe is a pretty deep roster as of right now. So how much is this year's 23rd overall pick going to come in and contribute for them? Um, They they may have that opinion that their roster is good enough. But in part, you have to believe they're making a value judgment as to whether this pick will be higher or lesser than next year's pick for sure.
3: All right, so I've seen a couple of stories kind of looking at potential Sixers picks at that 23 spot, one by Kyle Newbeck of the Philly Voice. I know he's on with Angelo a lot. Um, So I'm going to throw some names out here, and um, just, you know what, I'll I'll read names, stop me if any of them do anything for you. Kendall Brown, uh, a wing player from Baylor. Uh, E.J. Liddell, Ohio State power forward. Uh, let me see. I'm trying to leave out the European ones for now. Bruce McGowan's Nebraska Guard. Christian Braun, a six foot six wing from Kansas. Uh, Daylon Terry, six foot six guard from Arizona, 19 years old. Uh, did I say Jalen Williams? No six foot six wing. They're all six foot six wings. Every one of them from Santa Clara. Uh, Kennedy Chandler, a five foot eleven guard from Tennessee. Jody, I'm not hearing you uh, jump up and uh, praise any of these guys.
4: There there is one that I do specifically like. Uh, The Braun kid from Kansas is not a bad player. Um, But there is one specific. And we're talking about the 23rd pick in the draft. So we can... Come up with names of guys we think are going to be there. Yeah, Mikhail But in actuality, we got no idea. Uh, we want going to wait till draft night and see who's left on the board. It reminds me of one of my highlight Mac and Mac moments from you and I years ago. 1998, NBA draft. I think the Sixers have the sixth or seventh, seventh or eighth pick. Uh, and we talked about it leading up to the draft. And all week long, I'd been talking about Larry Hughes that I'd seen him play for St. Louis. He had played well in a game against either St. Joe's or uh, Temple or uh, let's whoever it was, uh, and I saw the kid, and I said, damn, this kid's a player, so I did my research on him, and I thought he could land somewhere in the draft right around there. And sure enough, draft night, Sixers take Larry Hughes. So we come in the next day, and you go, Jody, you must be ecstatic. The Sixers took the guy that you'd been talking up for a week. I go, Glenn, I'm ticked off. And you go, why? What? Well, no, no, no. You told me, Larry Hughes. You got me all excited about Larry Hughes. How are you ticked off? I said, because I had no idea that Paul Pierce was going to yes. fall down yes. in the draft and be
3: available for the Sixers <laughs> yes. to take.
4: And sure enough, yes. Larry Hughes was Larry Hughes and Paul Pierce was Paul Pierce. So, and, uh,
3: and to add to your story, it comes out years later that Larry Brown says he picked him over Paul Pierce because he promised Larry Hughes that he was going to do it, and right. he didn't want to renege on his promise. And I, I mean I, I <laughs> appreciate honor among men, but for God's sakes I, anyway,
4: and if I had known that, that's the reason why I would have hyped up Larry Hughes. I didn't know that. I didn't. You're right. It didn't, it didn't come out till years later. Uh, but yeah, Paul Pierce probably going to the NBA Hall of Fame. So projecting at number 23 is kind of poking and hoping and throwing darts at the wall. But a guy I really do like is uh, the Liddell kid from Ohio State. Um, athletic uh, forward, guy who can shoot the three. I know. George Niang had a lot of fans this year, but I think either you and I could dribble past George Niang and get to the hoop. Well, not me, but okay. He's not much of a defender, and I think they could use some athleticism at that position. And I'll tell you why he might fall down to him. If he does, it'll be a good thing because I really do like the player. He's a junior. And in the NBA today, if you're not coming out after your freshman year, everybody wants to know why not? Why you everybody comes out after freshman year. The best players all come out after freshman year. Well, those best players are all gonna be taken in the top fifteen picks. When you get down into the 20s, if you got a kid who stuck around for a couple of years, whatever the reason is, and he's developed on the collegiate level, then he's got a better chance to step in and be a contributor year one rather than banking on the potential that he's going to get better the longer he's in the league. Take a guy who you think can step in and give you a little something-something at number 23, and I think Liddell can do that. Then you get him on the cheaper contract for the first four years, the rookie deal, and you already got a guy who's performing for you rather than someone you believe is going to perform a year, two years, or three years from now. Sometimes you wait on a guy who finally kicks in. Oh, now we've got to give him a max contract. Yeah. That's not what Liddell is. So if he is there at number 23, I think he'd be a perfect fit for the uh, Sixers.
3: All right. Well, there you go. Save and store that one for the uh, for the draft, which is which is coming up. Uh, Phillies tonight against the Angels. Zach Wheeler against Michael Lorenzen. So Lorenzen is is five and two with a three nineteen average. Lorenzen is a
4: guy who also can hit, right? Isn't Correct. He, yeah, they've got two of those. They've got Shohei and they've got yeah. Lorenzen, guys who can both play the field, hit, and pitch.
3: Yeah, I remember seeing him as an outfielder a couple of years ago. He's he's good. Cincinnati, uh, yes. Yeah, with Cincinnati, exactly, exactly. And uh, Wheeler, of course, is having a, is having a fine year, uh, three and three with a three sixteen. Uh, any thoughts on this game tonight?
4: yes, the undefeated Rom Thompson will stay undefeated, and he'll get to Sunday before we actually have to, because Wheeler has, you're right. Um, he got off to the slow start. Uh, that was uh, not not as overstated as I thought it was because, oh, Tech Wheeler's not going to be ready to start of the season. He pitched the first week. He just yeah. pitched the fifth game instead of the first yeah, game, which no he should deal. have off the season that he had. But he really wasn't 100 percent he is now back to the same level that he was last year, so I like the Phillies chances anytime he's taking the ball uh,
3: these days and tomorrow is Kyle Gibson against Patrick Sandoval the lefty who is also having good uh, off to a good start. The angels have just been dead recently they've had a horrible road trip which ends for them uh tomorrow Well I actually I don't know if it ends for them tomorrow, but their their stay here ends tomorrow um. We don't get to see Otani pitch, which is uh, I know he pitched against the Yankees. Too bad. I would li- I would have liked to see that. Yeah, Are they
4: well, as
3: would I. But
4: Otani's uh, Shohei Otani is good enough that uh, which do you want to see a good player on the other team perform, or the yeah, Phillies actually have a better chance to win? I kind of fall on the side of I can catch Shohei Otani on TV anytime. Uh, you know, let's get the Phillies in matchups that they can actually walk away with victories.
3: Well, right, it's always that, right? Because, you know, you look at the schedule, and you see, like, oh, look at that, Otani's coming, Mike Trout's coming in, Mike Trout's for I'd love to see Mike Trout. And then you go, and it's like you just hope he grounds out four times as opposed to hitting home runs, but, you know, there you go. Uh, 2-1-5, actually, I work in Herb here before the break. Herb, what's on your mind?
11: Yeah, no, I just wanted to say something about, you know, Harper, okay, he's been doing a lot of weights for so many years, his father – the brother, they both lift a lot of weight, you know. And I think this Alberto issue is uh, something
3: that... You, you think know. he's bringing down. Thank you. 215-592-9494. The hell was that? Uh, Jody McDonald, Glenn Macnow. We'll come back. We'll wrap it up, find out what we forgot to talk about right here on 94WIP. Jody McDonald, Glenn Macnow, 94WIP. On a fun day. What's coming up? Uh, uh, go Birds Radio after us with uh, James yes, and indeed. Elliott. There you go. A lot going on. Eagles minicamp. Jody, uh, any? Uh, I know you do that Eagles 365 show, which is right. uh, great. And I've uh, had a fun time being a guest with you and John McMullen. Um any any thoughts, reports on Eagles mini camp that you guys had in the first couple of days?
4: And we will uh, certainly be tapping into the host of the Eagles pregame show to jump on with this again. So uh, no full well, the requests will continue, Mr. Mac. Now, um, yeah, here's my one, Rob, and I guess that one year in, no one can say for sure, but. They went for all of 45 minutes yesterday. They had the ability to run drills. They're not really practicing. Uh, no 11-on-11s. It's all just uh, doing drills and conditioning and, and talking a good game. Uh, the NFL has changed from uh, when you and I started as partners and two-a-days. It's just not uh, – I have to right. adjust. In the sun,
3: in the hot sun, yeah.
4: Sure. Right. That's not happening anymore. But even in comparison to the other teams around the league – Now, today, the Eagles are doing less than almost anybody else. Uh, No mandatories, all optional. There were a whole bunch of veterans that weren't there yesterday, which was the first time they allowed the media in, and they went for all of 45 minutes. I expect the Eagles to be tremendously healthy when the season starts, but will they be ready to rock when the season gets underway? Uh, Yes, they were very healthy at the start of last season, but... They also started two and five. Now, mm-hmm. their starting schedule was more difficult than their finishing schedule, and that could be a reason why they added two. They ran the ball when Jalen Hurts wasn't ready to pass the ball. There's a lot of reasons. Yeah, they had a new coach trying to find season. his way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But they like. Last year, they're doing the same thing this year. They're not worrying much about getting up to speed and repetitions and the like. Maybe I'm just too old school where practice makes perfect, and uh, the more you put into it, the more you'll get out of it. It does scare me a little bit. The, the Eagles are, uh, as an organization, and they're putting it all on Nick Sirianni's plate, and I don't believe this. I believe it's an organizational decision that uh, less is more, that uh, we're doing this for re- Sports science is telling us that we don't need to get anybody hurt before the season starts.
3: And, and I get the sports science, and I get the not wanting to get guys hurt, and I get the viciousness of the game, but I do think, and it, it's a league-wide thing for reasons that we understand, but I do think that when I watch it, when I watch games, particularly early in the season, it's almost like the regular season is now the preseason. And, yep. you know, also they're playing one for preseason game, which, by the way, as, as a guy who watches football, I don't mind. The preseason is dreadful. But, um, yeah, it takes them. I always feel now like September is the month that everybody takes to get into shape. And then the real season starts. You just hope you're not too buried. You see it in the tackling. You see it in the timing. Um, it's it's, it's going to be this way now. You're right. The Eagles do less, but it, it doesn't make the product better. It certainly makes the longevity of the players better, and that's more important, but you see it in early season games. So.
4: And oh, by the way, again, uh, when we judge a schedule when it comes out, you never really know. You're you're, yeah. you're going off what they did last year, and teams improve and teams get worse and the like. But you look at the Eagles' schedule: at Detroit, home Minnesota, at Washington, home Jacksonville. That is not a killer schedule to get things going they need to be three and one after four games. And I hope the we're going to take our time to build into shape over the course of a season and stay as healthy as possible. Doesn't come back and bite them the first month of the season this year.
3: Indeed. All right, Jody McDonald, it is time to go back to our studio and talk to Moshe Kravitz and find out what did we forget to talk about today?
7: Well, guys, we had a couple of big retirements in the NFL this week, including Frank Gore, the possibly greatest Philadelphia Eagle of all time. Uh, you know, just any, any fond memories you guys want to touch on from Frank Gore's oh, Eagles career?
3: There's so many highlights. I couldn't pick one highlight. Yeah, it's the, the, it's the old line. Is he going to go into Canton as a Philadelphia Eagle? Which, by the way, guys don't go into
7: Canton. I mean, Cantonese. I'm upset he's re- signing a one-day contract with the Niners instead I know, of the Eagles. Thought. By the way,
3: Jody, third leading rusher of all time. Yeah, he guy go had over. a great career. Uh, usually, like, he's not a guy who got a ton of attention uh, when he played, but, God, he was good for so long.
4: He's going to go into the Hall of Fame. That, yeah. That's it. And uh, I had a good day on our Birds 365 show this week. Clark Judge, who works for Talk of Fame, who is a Hall of Fame voter, and we talked Hall of Fame with him the other day for about 25 minutes and how they go about through the process. Everything. That's one thing you can't argue when you're the third-leading rusher of all time, there's no way around it, even though at no point during his career was he ever the best back in the National Football League on any given year. Right,
3: right. He, his he was always accomplishments good. have He's to always get great. him into yep. Canton. All right, what else, Mosh? Yeah, well, uh, another
7: uh, guy with a really long career, not quite as storied, uh, is retiring. Fitzpatrick
4: going deep to Deshaun Jackson on the
7: first plate oh. of scrimmage.
8: The
2: former Eagle is inside the 10 and takes it all the way. 75 yards for a Buccaneers touchdown. So oh that's God, I... not
7: Deshaun Jackson retiring, but Ryan Fitzpatrick is yes. retiring. And I want to ask you guys, is Ryan Fitzpatrick the
3: greatest journeyman in any sport? Oh, no question. One of my, By the way, one of my favorite players of all time because... He had some great years, and Jody, I'll, I'll uh, certainly uh, let you talk about that, that time he had with the Jets. He had that one terrific year with the Jets. But if I remember, uh, I'm not going to get this in order. He played for the Bengals, the Rams. He went to the Bills where he was decent. Um, Houston, the Jets, you just had Tampa, Miami where he had that game in 2019 where he threw for 400 yards against the Eagles. God, that that destroyed their season. And just finished with Washington last year. I may be leaving something out, but what was that, eight or nine teams? And just stuck around forever. Jody, that year with the Jets, 2015 maybe, 16, I don't know. But he took him to the playoffs, right? He was his usual self. Fitz Magic or it's Tragic. It was one or the
4: other. There was never any in-between. Either he was great or he was terrible. And he was had enough great moments and great games that he was able to stick around for as long as he did. I'll give you the guy who i got to give a tip of the cap to if you're going to give Ryan Fitzpatrick credit for his career. I had Brian Baldinger on one of my shows. I mm-hmm. think he was on the Rams at the time and the Rams' starting quarterback had gotten hurt or whatever. They were coming up on playing Eagles or whatever. He said, hey, be careful. If Ryan Fitzpatrick gets it, I'm going, Baldy, he's an Ivy League guy. What are we talking about here? Now the Eagles have to run in fear of an Ivy League guy. He said, Jody, I'm telling you, this kid can play. They should have been drafted. He wasn't drafted. They, he's, he's absolutely got a gun attached to his right shoulder. And I'm just, like, rolling my eyes going, I know Baldy puts in a lot of work and he watches a lot of tape, but really, Ryan Fitzpatrick? Yes, yeah, 16 years later, however long it's been since when he was a very young, wet behind the uh, NFL quarterback. We're not talking about his retirement. Oh, Baldy had him pegged a decade and a half ago.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it. I left the team out. I forgot he played for Tennessee along the way, and he did. 17 years, Jody. Some as a backup, some as a starter. Journeyman is the ultimate. And uh, yeah. Great. Uh, and the beard just kept getting longer with every single team. <laughs> All right. One more, Mosh. So, as much
7: as we complain about the lack of talent in the Phillies farm system, you got to feel for the Phillies minor leaguers who apparently, at every single level of the minor leagues, this is from a story this week in The Enquirer, at every single level of the minor leagues, they are living in hotels. And there's minor leaguers with a complaint out against the Phillies organization uh, that they did not put forth enough effort to get them into apartments. This is after Major League Baseball is now requiring organizations to provide housing for minor leaguers. And this isn't feels like it's not the first controversy that we've had surrounding the way the Phillies treat their minor league players. Uh, it, it's not a good look for the Phillies right now.
3: Major league players get paid so well and live so well and stay in the greatest uh, hotels in the country. Minor league players do not. Uh, a few years back, I wrote a story on minor leaguers and their lives, and you know they're eating they're eating at McDonald's and they're living five to a room, and it's it's rough. Um, I saw Scott Lauber's story, which was very good, but I I think. From what I interpret, those players have a legitimate gripe. And with the amount of money floating around baseball, they should make life a little better for those kids. Jody, you got a thought?
4: Yeah, let me add to it. Um, The reason that the players have a very legitimate gripe is, and Scotty detailed it in the story, when they go on the road, they're told to clean out their rooms. Now, the hotel may have the ability to store their stuff for them, But they're told to clean out their rooms because the hotel might rent the room for a couple of days while they're out of it. And then they'll be put back in when the team comes back in again. You got to pack up all your stuff every time your team goes on the road. That's just the Phillies not willing to pay for the room when it's not being used when they're on the road. That's just wrong. That's that's
3: borderline abusive as far as I'm concerned. You hope these guys are going to be your future professionals. You should treat them like professionals from the very beginning. That's what I think. most great job by you. Jody, my friend, it is a pleasure. And as I told people at the start of this show, uh, the plan for moving this show forward is, is in the works. But I, I'm happy that Jody is going to be part of it. So, Jody. I'll talk to you soon, pal.
4: Looking forward to it. When next we hop back on the air, MacMan.
3: All right. Stay tuned. Uh, Go Birds Radio coming up with James and Elliot. I'll talk to you tomorrow uh, right here on 94 WIP. I'm going to be with Rob Ellis tomorrow.
1: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 4 hours with audio every day.